Hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Today I've compiled a really massive video for all your listening desires, and I really hope you enjoy it, as I don't post these types of videos too often. We've got a little bit of everything here, so get ready because it's a lot. Also remember, every single episode will also be available on my podcast, The Dinner Table, which can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Before we dive into the stories though, I want to give a big thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I've personally suffered with depression and anxiety pretty much all my life, so finding the right therapist can definitely be a bit of a challenge. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling that's done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise that's available which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in a really uncomfortable waiting room. As with traditional therapy, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and be sure to read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com cannibal. That's better, H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Dinner Table listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com cannibal. So I'm a female, and at the time I was 13 years old. I grew up in southern Arizona on the outskirts of a relatively small town. The neighborhood that I lived in was pretty small, and it had a wash on both sides, which was pretty common for the area. Across the wash facing us was another neighborhood that had about five different streets, which was larger than our small one street with only a few houses. The wash was small and it had a clear path across from it. Because of the amount of kids in the neighborhood, it really wasn't that uncommon for us to cross the wash to go to a friend's house or even hang out in the wash itself. One group in particular would cross to hang out with us on our street. Jack, Leo, and Chris were their names. Jack is my age, Chris is a couple years older, and his brother Leo is my younger brother AJ's friend. There was also Eric, who I've actually known longer than the rest of them, as he lived on my street. We're pretty close friends, despite the two-year age gap. We usually all got together over school breaks, since we all had free time. Plus, our parents would sometimes want us to get out of the house, and I can't really blame them for that. It was over one of these breaks when all of this took place. Jack was out of town, and Eric had a project to work on, so it was just my brother, Leo, Chris, and I. Since AJ and Leo were the same age, they would often keep to themselves rather than hang out with their siblings. Really, it was just Chris and I. He was always a bit of a troublemaker. 
Never anything terrible, maybe a fight here or there, and occasional drinking. He was known around school for this, but he never got into trouble since it was usually off campus and it didn't really happen that often. He was a chill guy, but no one messed with them. The weather was really nice on this day, and Chris actually suggested that maybe we should go into the wash to avoid our brothers. I'd been down there a hundred times, and I wouldn't pass down an opportunity to get away from my brother. We walked into the wash, heading further and further away from the street, until we then found a really small cutout from the trail. We stopped there, and we continued talking. That's when he then suggested, Hey, we should play truth or dare. I wasn't opposed to the idea, so I agreed. The game just kind of went as usual. He had asked me a few slightly inappropriate truths, but nothing to really raise any red flags. I mean, it was just teenage boy talk, right? Well, after maybe about 15 or so minutes of playing, I decided to choose dare. Alright, I dare you to give me a blowjob. I was really taken aback by this, but I thought that he was just joking, and I laughed it off. <laughs> That's funny, good one, but what's the actual dare? I wasn't joking, he said. I didn't know what to do. I should have just gotten up and left right then and there, but I didn't. I just froze. That's when I started to feel nervous. I was trying to convince myself that it was all just a joke. He had to be kidding. There's just no way he's serious, I thought to myself. Before I could do anything, he then grabbed and pulled me to him and then kissed me. I'd never been kissed before, but I just knew this wasn't right. I tried to pull away, but he wouldn't let me go. I was shaking and I had started to cry, but he still didn't stop. When he finally did, I was still confused, but I was sure it was over. God, I really wish that was the end of it. He looked me in the eyes, still holding onto my wrists, then saying, You know, you still have to do your dare. You can probably fill in what happened next. The whole ordeal couldn't have been longer than 15 minutes, but it felt like it would never end. You can probably imagine just how happy I was when I got a call from Eric asking where I was. He had gone to my house to ask if I could hang out when my brother told him I wasn't home. I guess Chris realized that he couldn't get away with anything else, but before letting me go, he made me swear not to tell anyone. I didn't care. I promised to him that no one would ever find out, just anything to get me out of there. I waited till I had stopped crying before we both left each of us walking a totally different direction home. I ran into Eric, but I told him I wasn't feeling well, and I went home. That wasn't the last time I saw him, though. We were still neighbors, and I always saw him at school. I'm really glad that we didn't have any classes together, since he was a grade above me. He would always try to hang out with me, but I'd either make an excuse, or whenever I had to, I just wouldn't let him come within a few feet of me, or I would leave the street. After around a year or so, he had moved across the country with his family. Now, I know some of you guys are probably wondering if I ever told the cops or even my parents. I didn't. I didn't tell anyone for a really long time. I haven't gotten therapy for it either. I really think that this will always have a spot in the back of my mind, but now I'm really trying to accept that it's all in the past. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe, everyone.
This all happened around 2007 to 2008. I was 16 when this began and 18 to 19 when it finally went to court. Picture a Norman Roscoe-esque suburban family. Parents, three kids, a yard and a dog, and blink and you'll miss it, USA. One random day, a neighbor man has a mild dispute with his neighbor. As a totally warranted response, neighbor man takes every hose that he has and he floods their yard. Well, solid decisions lead to solid consequences, so naturally he ended up being fined for water waste. My parent runs the water in small town USA and because neighbor man lived a block from us, he decided to drive over to the water district then shouting that he's an acquaintance of my parent. This was the second solid decision of many to come from neighbor man. Absolutely no one takes kindly to name droppers, so tuck that little gem away under life facts. My parent comes home and he tells him even if his kids did this, they would still have the same repercussions as him. Gracefully glossing over the fact that other than maybe driving by one another, none of us actually had ever interacted with the neighbor man. Neighbor man repeats the name of the man working at the front desk as well as my parents' name and then claims that it's now personal, then storms out. My family members and I begin to see the neighbor man at random places like constantly. The DMV, the grocery store, our respective jobs, etc. Apparently when you're cocoa for Cocoa Puffs and your parents pay for your house, you have all kinds of time to stalk. It went from random sightings while you're out and about to phone calls. It was the cliche 90s type of call, breathe, then hang up and I can see you variety. Honestly, at this point neighbor man was more of an annoyance than scary. But as I have stated, whenever you underestimate crazy, you'll lose every time. Neighbor man began parking across from our house and then staying from 6pm to 4am. Literally just sitting in his car blasting music and staring at our house. The fool must have had the determination and bladder of a racehorse because who the hell sits there for 10-ish hours? His music was trash too. Maybe he was a masochist and really into self-harm, seeing how long he could suffer with that shitty ass music and a full bladder. I really doubt that anyone with a semi-rational concept of social interaction could even fathom why. This ended up going on from about three to four times a week to a nightly occurrence. Imagine being a 16-year-old female that doesn't even feel comfortable to change in a room because of the prospect that he might see through the blinds somehow, trying to sleep while knowing he's out there. We were pretty much prisoners in our own home. He began to get bolder. There was this one instance where my sibling and her partner were coming home from a date and neighbor man drove his car speeding right up next to them on the sidewalk. They both had to physically jump out of the way to avoid being hit. He would also make really lewd gestures at me whenever I brought my dog out for a walk and he was actually waiting for my sibling to come out and join us on the walk. It was so bad that I actually ended up crying and going inside. This had been going on for about a year at this point. The cops always said the same thing. Unless there's a threat made against you or someone is harmed, there's really nothing we can do. After my incident, my parent confronted the neighbor man in the street. He called the cops and they came and asked us why we were harassing him. I'll honestly never understand why the system waits until you're a victim rather than prevents someone from being victimized. 
So it's almost two years in now, and it's Christmas time. My parent has a brain aneurysm. Fortunately, they made it through without having any lingering effects, which apparently is extremely rare. I managed to convince my other parent who had been living at the hospital with their sick partner to come home and shower and eat. At about 9pm, we get a knock at the door. A random man in really ratty looking clothes is holding a Christmas present and saying that he's there to deliver it to our family. We ask him who sent it, but he says that he can't say. We also asked who he works for, and he just shoves the gift to my parent, then leaves. As you can imagine, we're obviously uncomfortable to open it. My parent decides that they need to know what it is, and they open the present. Inside is a 17-page document of the grounds on why neighbor man is suing my parent that was currently in the hospital. Even I could tell it was fake with all the grammatical errors and typos. Neighborman took the time to sit and type this up himself, thinking that it would scare us. The document and the fake details he put in didn't, but the fact that this 40-something-year-old man was so fixated on our family that he sat up and typed a 17-page fake document, well, that part did scare us. Things progressed and Neighborman began pacing out in front of his car and pretending to have phone calls, where he talked about pushing my parent down the stairs or knowing where we kids went to school and worked and how easy it would be to access us at any time. At the time, I worked a closing shift that let me off at about 1am. He would be parked next to my car and follow me home. One time I even tried to take random roads and he still stayed right behind me. Pulling up to the house with neighbor man parked across the street and then having to get out and run to the door was an absolute nightmare. We were all really exhausted from not only the aneurysm scare, but also having to constantly look over our shoulders for this guy. My parents' friend told one of her friends who's a DA all about the situation. She called and came over and she took on our case pro bono. Testifying was a really wild ride. We had to put in official statements prior to being called to the stand. We weren't allowed to be in the room when a family member was testifying, nor were we allowed to be in the halls as we waited our turn. Imagine reliving two plus years of traumatic experiences, being cross-examined when you're made out to be a liar, and then not being able to have your family comfort or support you afterwards. That definitely was an ideal. There was enough to put him away for a year and a half, as well as grant a felony restraining order. We ended up moving while he was still incarcerated. My sister passed away while he was in prison, and he pretty much immediately tried to sue her estate when he was released. He claimed that her testimony from him running his car and her partner was false, and that that was the only reason he was locked up. And get this, apparently all the money that people donated to a GoFundMe for her accident, he was entitled to. There's so many more details that I could mention, but this was already long enough. So neighbor man... You made us prisoners in our own home for years. Clearly, you're still the same person and you haven't learned a thing from being locked up. I desperately hope that we never cross paths in the future. Believe it or not, but I've always been the type of person who attracted really deranged people. I'm quite young, but I don't even count anymore the number of times that I've met creeps. This one, however... I will always remember it for several reasons. Firstly, because he was my neighbor. 
and secondly because it could have ended up so badly. The first time I met him was when I moved into my actual apartment. It's in a really nice house that's divided into five apartments. Mine was on the first floor, his was on the ground, and I had to walk in front of his window to get to the front door. At first, I didn't really mind him. He looked kind of creepy, but to me, everyone looks creepy. Well, he did get angry at my big brother for only walking in front of his window, but he was never aggressive to me personally. Plus, I spent most of my time studying, and I was always back at my place pretty late. Life was going pretty peacefully. I finished my studies and I got my diploma. I found myself a really great partner and I would have had everything to be happy with. I mean, if it wasn't for my health. It was declining. Nothing life-threatening, but I had to stay at my place instead of working. My life was pretty much boring and uneventful. Until one day as I was tidying, my internet phone then rang. Instead of answering it, I just looked through my open window and I saw that the neighbor was staring right at me. He was standing there in front of the door still and kind of threatening. I asked him if he needed something, waited for him to answer, but after a really long silence, he just enters. I heard his door closing. It was really weird, but I had better things to do, so I just went back to sweeping my floor. A week later, all of his shutters were closed. There happened to be an inscription on all of them. Sealed. It didn't really look official. More like crooked handwriting and messy black marker. Once again, I brushed it off, as I was kind of glad that the creepy neighbor was gone. I figured he got arrested or something. Once again, life was peaceful, and two months after his disappearance, a really nice dude started living in the apartment. He was a really great guy, always smiling and ready to help. He had his head shaved kind of like the old neighbor, but he was chubby and really friendly. Everything was pretty good for about a year, and then things went downhill. And oh boy, how ugly it got. I usually always said hello to the neighbor. He would politely ask me about my day, about my partner's day, and pretty much everything. That day in question though, he didn't say hello to me when I passed his window like he usually did. Instead, he was sitting in his chair just staring at me with dark eyes, following my every move. I did still wave at him smiling though. I figured he just had a bad day. Since then, I would always see him in the daytime sitting in the dark and looking through the window. And during his nights, well, he would be blasting heavy metal while he laughed and screamed like a maniac. At this point, neither me or any of the other neighbors could sleep. We kept calling the police, but they didn't really care about some noise. I don't know when exactly that I figured the nice neighbor was the creepy neighbor, but when I did, it left me with a really sour taste in my mouth for some reason, probably because I knew for sure that he had a history of violence. Then one day, I was at a friend's for a week. Since my partner was working, he was keeping our apartment. I was shopping with my friend when I received a message that made me shiver. Apparently, the neighbor had let himself into our apartment. My partner didn't notice that he left the door unlocked, and the neighbor just climbed up the stairs, opened our door, then entered inside. I can't say exactly what happened since I wasn't there, but apparently he wanted to shave my partner's hair and eyebrow. He was absolutely delirious, having a hard time talking, and just overall gibberish. My partner managed to get him out and closed the door. 
he was merely amused by the whole thing. When I finally got back, things were getting worse. First, he would stop me and my partner in the street, telling us how the only reliable source of information was our toaster. Then he started to corner me. He would wait for me to almost reach the door, and then he would violently open his own door. Then he would tell me how I shouldn't go out and how I shouldn't trust anyone but him. It was pretty clear as day how bad his mental health was, as his speech was more and more slurry. He would also take long pauses while staring to the side. During two weeks, he managed to corner me four times. I mean, it was literally the only four times that I was going out alone during those two damn weeks. This was a really awful time for me. I couldn't leave my apartment alone. I couldn't live the life that I wanted, and I had to just stay locked in my place waiting for my partner. Even with precaution, I just kept meeting him, and the more I saw him, the more uneasy I grew. For weeks, it felt like I was a hostage at my own place. I should have called the police. As our encounters were more and more regular, he grew agitated. He would fidget, he would look all over, and he kept getting closer to me. There was actually a point where I could feel his moist breath on my skin. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified to call the cops because all of our other neighbors were on vacation. I was really afraid that he would hurt me if I called the cops. Until this day. I had to meet my boyfriend at a bar near our place. My first mistake was leaving long after my partner. I quietly climbed down the stairs, not making any noise when I opened the door and tried to sneak away from his window. He saw me. He opened the window and for the first time in what seemed like forever, he then told me in clear speech, Don't go outside. Stay at home. If you need something, come to me or go out on Monday at 7 a.m. I frightfully agreed and I smiled at him my hands gripping on my purse. I looked at him closing his window, and I waited for him to turn his back so that I could start walking away. When he saw me walking away, he then screamed at me. Hey, don't fucking go! I saw him reach for his door, and I felt my blood run cold. I was absolutely nothing compared to him. I had no strength whatsoever. I was just a still, quiet, sick person against a really massive man. So I ran. I ran for about two minutes straight to the bar, passing bystanders who I'm sure were staring at me. I ran for my life and I kept running like this until I finally saw my partner and our friends at a table. And then right at that moment, I started to cry. I collapsed on the chair and I just cried for about three minutes straight. Later on, we all went back home, our friends hiding me. My second mistake that day was to convince the others that they could go to the theater just three houses away from the apartment, and that I would be fine since I wasn't going to go out. They left. It was starting to get really hot, so I opened the windows before turning the fan on. I was quietly spending my evening sipping on iced tea and watching some stupid videos. When someone then knocked, I knew who it was. There was only one person who would pounce on my door like that so I just knew it was the maniac neighbor. I didn't answer. I just froze on my couch. The only thing I was able to think about was that this thin door was really the only obstacle between us. Then he started screaming. I wasn't able to make out everything he said. The fan was covering much of his screaming, but I can still remember some of it. Children of the devil, trust. Open the fucking door. And then the worst one yet... You're gonna burn. 
Then there was this laughing that was literally straight out of a damn horror movie. It was when I heard him laughing that it really dawned on me just how alone I really was. How we were the only two people in this whole house. How he could have just snapped open the door and God knows what else. I was able to find the force to get myself up, go to the bathroom, and then sit behind the door. And then I started crying again, trying to muffle the screaming and laughing. I texted a friend who convinced me to call the cops. This time they answered. I called too late. He was already back to his apartment when they came. There was three polite knocks. I let them inside, the maniac neighbor now trembling. There were five officers, one of them on the step of another apartment. He had found some glasses that were partially filled with alcohol. They believed me and they tried to reassure me, but at the end of the day, there was nothing they could do. I had to just sit and wait, still terrified. After this, I went to the police station and filed a report. A social worker went to the neighbor, talked to him, and apparently he sweared to not bother me ever again. Pretty much after that, it was just loud music in the middle of the night. Still though, I had these lingering feelings that it wasn't over. For about two months, everything went fine. That is until on one morning when I opened my door and I found a beer. The neighbor kept putting beers in front of my door for a week. It was 10 a.m. and I was just out of the shower, dressed in a black t-shirt but still in underwear, when my internet phone rang. Like I always did because the window reaches my stomach, I passed my head through the window. There I saw a guy who worked in an office just right in front of the house. He was maniacally screaming at me and doing these really wild gestures, obviously panicked. But then I saw it. Right beside him was the crazy neighbor, now grinning. It took me a couple of seconds to realize what was going on, way too much preoccupied by the sinister expression of my neighbor. But then I heard it. You need to get out. The house is burning. I then looked in the direction of my neighbor's apartment. Sure enough, I saw thick black smoke coming out of the open windows. I just threw on some jeans then grabbed my keys. I wasn't able to grab my ID or even my cell phone. All I managed to grab was my clothes and keys. In the corridor, I smelt the smoke. I coughed a few times before running out. I was frightened and confused. I was supposed to go to an appointment for a job only 30 minutes from this point, but instead I was watching the place burn. I was fearing that my home would be turned into nothing more but a pile of ashes now. The neighbor was just standing there, still with this crazy ass grin. He was smoking and looking at the smoke while the other guy screamed at him. See? I told you there was someone inside. I told you. I was still watching it all burn, asking myself just how long it would take before the fire reached my unit, when someone then grabbed my arm. It was a woman, one of my neighbors from next door. She grabbed me and she forced me to sit on the bench with her. She took my hand and she kept telling the neighbor not to approach me. She also gave me water and she helped me contact the person that I was supposed to see for the job. Most importantly though, she didn't once let the neighbor get to me, and she stood in front of me the entire time, doing her best to shield me from him. The firefighters quickly arrived along with the cops. They asked him basic questions like whether or not there was gas inside, but he just mocked and laughed at them. This maniac actually had the audacity to try and smash his glass on a cop's head. That's when they arrested him. It was at this point when the woman let go of my hand. 
I was finally free from him. The fire was put out pretty quickly. Thanks to great isolation, it was really just his unit that got burnt. However, the level of carbon monoxide was really high. High enough to kill someone if anyone would have stayed. All of his belongings were in front of his apartment. The neighbor was sent to a psychiatric hospital, and the landlord was finally able to break the lease. One of the other neighbors told me that when he left that morning, they had saw a beer in front of my door. But when I exited because of the fire, there was nothing there. The fire was ruled as an accident, and we haven't seen or heard from him since. Slowly over time, I was able to go outside again without fearing for my life. I was able to go down the stairs more freely, and after all this time, I'm finally able to rest. But there's still a little bit more before I end the story. The neighbor's belongings actually stayed for a really long time, and every time I would pass to get to the front door, I always saw his notebooks laying around. Well, my curiosity really got the best of me. Like I expected, there was a lot of random gibberish written down. There was also a lot of hate speech, but that really wasn't that shocking coming from a guy like this. Then I found something else. It was kind of like a log. It was hard to decipher until it all clicked. Right in front of my eyes were all the times when people entered or exited the apartments. This man kept track of everyone's moves. I had found my pages quite easily. Every day for at least six months, he knew when I was alone. He knew when I was going grocery shopping, how long I left for, even how I looked when I was back. Every time I passed his window, he would write it down. He would also write comments which sometimes made sense and others didn't. But most importantly, when the fire started, he knew I was still inside and he knew I was the only one left. As you can all imagine, knowing this completely horrified me. I closed the notebook and I just went to my apartment. I really don't understand what the hell's wrong with this guy. I silently pray to never encounter him again. This story takes place in December of 2019. I was on winter break from my senior year of college and I decided to go visit a good friend of mine who lived about an hour and a half away from me. Her parents are pretty strict about having boys in the house, even though we're just friends. Because of this, we decided to meet at a park that was under a bridge that wasn't too far away from her house. The park itself isn't under the bridge, but the parking lot is. When I pulled into the parking lot, there were about six or seven other cars there, and I wasn't entirely sure which one was hers. Keep in mind, it's about 7.30pm in December at this point, so it was already almost pitch black out. I parked in a somewhat secluded spot about five spots away from the nearest car. I sent her a text and it turns out that she was in that very car. I walked over to her car, she got out, we hugged, and then I hopped in the passenger seat. It took me a couple of minutes to stop shivering since it was really freaking cold outside. So we're sitting there talking and just catching up for about 25 minutes when I decide to lay my seat all the way back. I'm a pretty tall guy and I was a little cramped up in the front seat. My friend then did the same but she only laid back about halfway. About another 10 minutes go by and seemingly out of nowhere, two guys walk right over by the driver's side of the car like not even two feet away. I could only see their heads since I was laid back so low. 
One guy was about average height and in his 30s, while the other guy was really short and husky and seemed a lot older. This had only lasted for about a split second, but I could 100% tell that the younger guy was looking directly into the car. I sort of brushed it off because the park wasn't exactly dead at this point, but it was a little weird that they walked so close to our car when there were no other vehicles close to us. I mean, besides my car. My friend, however, didn't brush this off, as she told me she made direct eye contact with both of the men. I then sat up to see where the men had gone, but they were completely out of sight at this point. It was extremely dark out, and the only sources of light were a few street lamps that lit up certain parts of the parking lot. My friend put her seat all the way back up, and I put mine to the halfway point. She was still pretty nervous for a couple of minutes, but we quickly forgot about it and just continued talking. Another 20 or so minutes went by when I noticed headlights moving around the parking lot. I had turned my head to look out the rear driver's side window and I saw a silver Kia Soul heading straight for us. Now when I pulled in, I saw that same Kia Soul parked right next to the exit and there was no reason for whoever was driving to come across the parking lot to where we were parked at. Well of course, this car pulled into a spot literally one over from where we were. I sat up and looked at it and saw the short older man from earlier. He was alone in the car and was just scrolling through what looked like Facebook on his phone. I still wasn't very alarmed at this point, but my friend said that she was really uncomfortable on how close he was, especially since he had just walked by earlier. I told her if she was really that uncomfortable to just wait a few minutes, then move to a different spot. So right behind where we parked was the small fenced-in area with a bunch of construction equipment inside. I told her to just go around and park on the other side of that. She did just that and turned off the headlights when we got to the other side. All of that big equipment was really perfect for blocking us from that guy's view, but it also blocked the light from the street lamps as well, making it now about 20 times darker where we were. I don't really mind the dark, so I made myself comfortable again and laid my seat back. Well, not even five minutes go by and she then sees the figure of a person then emerging from the side of the fence. I decide to sit up a little bit, and even though it was dark out, I can make it out to be the younger guy from earlier. He passed by my side of the car, but he wasn't as close as before, and he didn't even look in our direction this time. The weirdest thing about it was that he was walking straight towards a patch of grass that was completely covered in darkness, and he was also completely hidden from our sight. Now, I tend to try and rationalize things whenever I see people doing weird things in public. So I just laid back down and told my friend that he was probably just taking a leak or something. Well, 30 seconds later, she tells me that he's coming back and by the time I set up again, he was past us. But she told me that this time he was looking straight into the car yet again. At this point, I put my seat all the way back so if something weird happens again, I would be ready. Well, nothing really weird happened for a good 45 minutes. We decide to both get in the back seat because there was more room back there and we could also both keep an eye out. Right when we were both starting to forget the weird men, that same freaking silver Kia Soul then pulled around the fence. We were in literally the back corner of the parking lot, so there was really absolutely no reason for this car to come back there if he wasn't actually following us. I saw the car first because my friend was looking for something on her phone and the only words I could muster were, no way. She looked at me, then out the window, and started to freak out. Now, the cherry on top of this whole situation for us was that as soon as his headlights landed on our car, he then switched them off, 
leaving us in yet again complete darkness. I followed the outline of the car, and to my horror, it literally parked right next to us. My friend was on the verge of tears at this point, while I myself had started to feel a different emotion. My face became red hot with anger, and I jumped in the driver's seat and rolled down the window, staring right at the guy. His face was dimly lit up from his dash lights, and when his eyes wandered over to meet mine, he looked a little startled like he wasn't even expecting me to be there. I then yelled to him, Hey, do you have a problem, dude? He said nothing and just looked down at his phone, typed something, then put his car in the reverse and drove off. I actually got out of the car at this point to see where he was going. When I rounded the fence, I saw the younger guy get into the passenger seat and then they drove out of the park. I walked back to the car, drove her car over to mine, then followed her to a more populated area. Pretty much for weeks, we couldn't figure out why those two guys were stalking us around in this parking lot and why that guy was so startled to see me. We kind of gave up trying to figure it all out until I was telling another friend the story, and then it all hit me. Every time those guys walked by the car, I was never visible to them, only my friend was. During the first time, my seat was all the way down, so none of the light from outside was hitting me. She even said they both made eye contact with her. When the younger guy looked in the second time, my seat was down again, so he only saw her when he looked in. This explains why my presence was such a surprise when I confronted the man in the car. So these two guys thought they saw a girl sitting alone in her car in a dark parking lot and then planned on doing God knows what to her. All of the possibilities still rattle around in my head. Could they have been kidnappers or maybe human traffickers? Or maybe they were just a couple of lowlifes who thought they could rob a girl sitting by herself. Either way, I'm really glad I made my presence known before they got the chance to do whatever it was they were planning on doing. This happened about a week ago and spans over the entire week. My family and I usually take vacations about once a year. This year we went to a state that we often visit but we stayed at a different campground than usual. When we first arrived at the campground, we were greeted by the owner who seemed really kind. She told us of all the tourist attractions that were close by, what the campground offered, and gave us a tour. She even told us some really interesting stories as well. We felt very welcomed, that is, until we actually got to see our cabins. When we walked inside, it absolutely reeked of must and gasoline, and better yet, everything was wet. The floors, the furniture, the blankets, and even the beds. We just assumed that it was from cleaning, so we decided to let the cabin air out while we went into town. During the same night as we had a campfire, we had noticed a golf cart that was constantly driving around our cabin. My dad had flagged him down and asked why he was circling our cabin, and all he said back was, I just want to make sure you guys are settling in okay, especially the pretty girl. He had said as he pointed in my direction. Now, I'm a 5'1 and somewhat chubby 17-year-old girl. I'm definitely not the prettiest, but I'm also not terrible looking. I get comments like this all the time, but I just got a really terrible feeling from this guy. My dad told him off and we called it a night after this. The next few days, nothing really happened. We were just constantly being followed around the site by this strange man. Even after my dad told the owner, nothing was ever done about this guy. 
On the fifth night, it was really storming really badly. I had woke up at around 3 a.m. to a tapping on my window. At first, I just assumed it was the bush that was outside the window, so I just fell back asleep. Then I was awoken a second time. This time, however, the man that was following us the past few days was standing in the doorway to my room just watching me sleep. I was frozen in fear. I knew screaming for my dad probably wouldn't help since how loud the storm was, so I pretty much just laid there just hoping this man wouldn't know I was awake. Luckily, my dad wakes up pretty often in the night to check on my siblings and I, and he actually caught the man. We eventually called the cops and he was arrested. Earlier today, my dad had told me that the man was actually the owner's son, and he was apparently just released from prison for molesting a child and sexual misconduct. If my dad would have never woken up, I really can't begin to imagine what would have happened to me, and I can't be more grateful for him. Let's just say right after this happened, we immediately left the campground, and to that creepy man that broke into our cabin and was watching me sleep. I really hope to never see you again, and to the owner who didn't stop her son from following us. You should really be ashamed of yourself. The story takes place back when I was in 8th grade, right around 2010. All of this started one day when I was at the store with my older sister. For some background, I was the typical emo kid in middle school, and I really didn't have that many friends in my smallish southern town. As we were leaving the store, a teenage guy who looked kind of goth had approached me and told me he thought I was cute, and he asked for my number. I was really so excited to meet someone who liked me that I gave him my number right away without even thinking about it. He gave me a hug then left. After he walked away, my sister told me that he gave her really bad vibes and I just really needed to stay away from him. Being naive and lonely, I ignored her and I started texting him immediately when he finally texted me. At first things seemed normal, but it didn't really take long to get weird. We kind of just casually talked about our lives and how our day had been. That's when he then told me that he was 17. I told him I was only 13, which I was sure would be a deal breaker, but he didn't care. He ended up telling me that he was temporarily couch surfing because apparently his mom had kicked him out. I felt really bad for him and I told him this, but being 13 years old, there was really not much I could do. He then went on to beg me to let him stay with me. I then told him my parents would never let him. He then kept asking for my address and trying to get me to sneak out to go meet him. One night, he repeatedly asked me for photos of my feet, even though I told him no multiple times. I eventually blocked his number because it was just getting way too weird for me, and I just felt unsafe. I ended up seeing him around town for a few more times at large music gatherings. Every time, he would always follow me or attempt to talk to me but I was always smart enough to run or hide. Other than being really creepy, these times were all pretty uneventful to me. Fast forward a few years when I see his face in the news. He got thrown in jail for taking photos of women with a cell phone while they were using public restrooms all over town, and his real age was listed in the paper as well. I don't remember exactly how old he was at the time, just that it made me realize that he was definitely older than 17 when he talked to me when I was 13. What a creep. So yeah, 
He definitely had some issues, but I really hope he gets the help he needs. For some context, I'm a 20-year-old female, and I started an OnlyFans account over the summer to support myself through school, and things were really great, until I posted my Amazon wish list. Now, Amazon doesn't release your address to people who gift you items, but well, third-party sellers can, and that's where I went wrong. By the way, I'm not trying to promote it here. This is a very frightening story, and I really felt like it should be shared. Around late July, I got a puppy. One night around 2am, I had took him outside to go to the bathroom. While he was doing his business, I had noticed a car that was parked outside my family's home. I saw a figure in the car and I could tell they were looking at me, but I couldn't really make out their face because it was pitch black out. Feeling a bit uneasy, I picked up my puppy and took him back inside. When I started to move though, the car then parked right in my driveway. I sprinted back inside and locked the door, but they never did approach my house. During the next morning, I went to check the mail. There was an envelope addressed to my OnlyFans name with $20 in it, but no note. I was currently still at home with my parents who had no idea about my OnlyFans account, so I didn't mention it to them. So about a week later, I had moved back to my college town to get ready to start school. During this time, I had decided to stop posting for the time being until I could figure out how they got my address. I've watched enough crime shows to definitely know that there's a possibility I could be in danger. I also live in a duplex with a gated parking lot for reference. One morning, I was planning on vlogging my trip to Target because I was planning on starting a YouTube channel in the near future since only fans felt so unsafe for me. When I got to my car, it had totally been ransacked and my vlogging camera was missing. I know, it's my fault for leaving it in the car, but I was using it the night before and since I live in a gated area, I didn't really think it would be unsafe. It wasn't in plain sight either, I had hidden it in my glove box. I used that camera to film my content, and the SD card that was in there had all my unreleased photos and videos. I know that they stole it just for the SD card. This is where the story really gets weird. There's cameras outside in the parking lot, so we were able to watch this person break into my car and find the camera, and they didn't touch any of the other seven cars on the lot. They knew which car was mine, which suggests that they had been watching me for a while. After they got the camera, they walked around the duplex until stopping right at my window. My bedroom faces an outside street and my blinds are broken, so it's really easy to see in. I have a curtain, but it doesn't cover my window all the way. This person literally watched me sleep for about an hour or so. I really have no idea why they didn't try to break in, but thank God they didn't. This person then sold my camera to a pawn shop, and since I knew the serial number, the police were able to find it. However, my SD card was still missing. I believe the police are still trying to track them down, but I've broken my lease and moved to a new place so I'm just really hoping that's enough to keep me safe. I live in a house that's really huge and beautiful, but there's just one problem. I'm often home alone, and well, our house has really giant windows. I'm a 23-year-old girl that's going to college nearby, and I live at home in order to afford school. My mom and stepdad have much more of a fun nightlife than I do, 
and they often go out of town. We live on a lake in a really nice private lake neighborhood that's supposed to be monitored, but it often isn't due to really lazy patrolmen. I have no self-defense because I'm so small. In a neighboring town, we have another house, and I used to live in it. We bought it so that I might could have lived close to my college, as it's about three streets away from it. I had a stalker there that would always leave me gifts, footprints by my window, and letters. I knew who she was. She had been a classmate at my college that didn't want to accept that I had no interest in dating girls. I filed a police report, and we've actually been called a few times because she's apparently been seen entering our backyard, even though we haven't been back to that house in a while. I definitely know that gut feeling whenever I'm being watched. So I'm back at our main house due to that experience, and I've been here for a few months now. It's about 40 minutes away from our other house, and it's extremely difficult to find. We live on a road that's absolutely impossible to find on a GPS, and really only my closest friends have been out here to visit. About two weeks ago, I called the cops. I had been home alone sitting upstairs, and I saw a figure in our yard, and then I heard the doorknobs being rattled downstairs shortly after. After the cops showed up 45 minutes later from getting lost, they didn't find anyone and assumed someone was attempting to break in. Whoever it was definitely saw me because our windows are huge and located everywhere. This house was custom built for my mom and stepdad. We have giant windows everywhere, including all of the bedrooms. Some of our windows are so big because they had previously belonged to an old church at 17 feet high. Even my room has four large windows that luckily fits blinds, but most of our windows are way too big for blinds or curtains. Basically what I'm trying to say here is pretty much everyone can see into our house, whether they're in our front yard, backyard, in their boats, etc. It doesn't matter. They can definitely see into a big portion of the house, and the house itself is huge. There's eight doors that I constantly check to always make sure they're locked. I have two dogs, one of them being an English Bulldog. About a week ago, I had just gotten home and I found a framed art print of a Bulldog. It also had saran wrap wrapped around it. There was no note and no context to it, so we have no idea who left it. I'm an artist myself and I often share pictures of my Bulldog, so I really feel that it's aimed towards me. We asked all of our friends, family, and even the neighbors but nobody knows who left it. Tonight I finished some assignments and I immediately laid down in bed. After about 20 minutes, I then heard knocks on my window. My dog was in the hallway and started barking as soon as it happened. After laying down for about 10 minutes frozen in fear, I got up to try and see if there was someone out there lurking in the dark. There wasn't from what I could tell. This all happened tonight and I'm still really scared. The cops always take so long to get here, and they would probably just get lost again. I've called my older brother and also messaged my friends to let them all know what's going on. All eight doors are locked. I triple-checked them. I just really want to know what the hell's going on around here. Who the hell tapped on my window, and who left this painting? Christmas of 2016 was one of the most horrifying and worst days of my entire life. My cousin was hosting a really huge Christmas party to celebrate the holiday on Christmas Eve. All of his friends, some of my friends, and almost the whole family was there. 
It was the biggest and most insane party that I've ever been to. We were all above 21, with the exception of a few kids. So a lot of us were just drinking our asses off and becoming more drunk to the bone with each drink. Many of us were just yelling and constantly crashing into things, and others were, well, they were already passed out on the couches. I went upstairs to play video games with some of my friends for about two hours, and then got drunker while playing. I got so drunk that I had to stop on my friend's suggestion. I personally was so drunk that I didn't even realize this random girl was sitting in the living room who I didn't even know. After I sober up the next morning, I eventually realized who it was. I remember her walking up to me and telling me things that I don't remember at all. But whatever she told me led to her grabbing my arm and then pulling me outside the house toward a white van. I got in the passenger seat, then she got in the driver's seat. I passed out in the van just a few minutes after getting in. I remember waking up to find myself still in the van on some unfamiliar road. Where are we going? I asked her. We're just going to my house. I really want you to spend the night with me. She answered. I looked through the back window and I saw my cousin's BMW now tailing us. Just then, I quickly realized just what was happening and I asked the girl to pull over that I felt like throwing up. I jumped outside of the van, then immediately ran to my cousin's car. I made sure to take a picture of the girl's van to get the license plate before then getting in. We both sped away, and then my cousin explained everything. He said that he wanted me to join him for a drinking session in his backyard with some of his friends, so he then went looking for me. When his sister then told him that I walked out with some random girl, he ran outside and that's when he saw the white van taking off with me in the passenger seat completely passed out. So he got into his BMW and then he started telling the van. The fact that this actually happened to me and the assumed safety of my cousin's house party and that it actually worked on me, a 23 year old guy, is what scares me the most. We called the police and we showed them the picture of the van's license plate. They managed to track down the van to some abandoned subway station. Five cops went there, and my cousin and I followed. We waited outside the station's entrance while the officers went inside. Only ten minutes later, the officers came out with the girl and about three other large men in handcuffs. They placed them in the cars, and one of the officers searched the white van while the other four searched the whole station. What they then found still really disturbs the both of us. In the van, they found a bloody axe, chains, and duct tape. In the station, however, they found four bodies and seven kidnapped young adults just like me. Five girls and two boys. The killed victims were killed by two of the men. We're pretty sure that they were all in prison for life, but I still don't really know. I still really wonder to this day though where I would be now if my cousin didn't save me. Just the thought of that alone still really gives me the chills. What you're about to hear is the most traumatic experience of my life. It was New Year's Eve and me and my girlfriend, let's call her Jane, were getting ready to go see some fireworks. Jan and I knew a really great spot deep in the woods where we could see the fireworks. We left at about 9.30 because the fireworks show was starting at 10. We made sure to pack some food, water, flashlights, and even a compass in case we got lost. 
We parked our car right on the side of the road and we made our way to the spot. I would say it was about a 15 minute walk or so until we reached the spot, which was a huge clearing that was surrounded by woods on all sides. Jane and I sat down and we started watching the fireworks show. About 15 minutes into the show, Jane looks at the woods and she then says, Uh, did you see that? I was confused, but I looked in the direction of the woods that Jane was looking at, but I didn't see anything. I told her that it was probably just a deer, and we continued watching the fireworks show. About five minutes passed by, and I had completely forgotten all about the incident. That is, until Jane then tells me to shush. I'm really confused, and I ask why, and then she asks me, Did you hear that? I listen closely and I can hear leaves crunching and twigs snapping. I look in the direction of the sound and I can now somewhat make out the figure of a man. Now at first, I didn't really believe it. But then right at that moment, a bright firework lit up the night sky along with the entire woods and I can now clearly see a man that's about 6 foot 3 now walking right toward us. I forgot to mention it, but I'm six foot five, and I can easily take on this guy if he wants to start trouble. But all that changed when another firework then revealed a very large knife in his hand. I tell Jane to run, and we both dart back into the woods in the direction of our car, all the while this man is now running about 20 feet behind us. After about two or three minutes of running, we managed to lose the guy, but when we arrived at my car, I then made a horrifying discovery. All four of my tires had been completely slashed. We didn't know what to do. My car's tires were now all slashed and there was a complete crazy maniac trying to kill us. And all in the while, Jane was going crazy. I tried calling 911, but just my luck, there wasn't any service. Luckily, we saw a truck coming down the road and Jane quickly flagged down the driver. The driver parked behind us and then a really large guy stepped out of the truck. We quickly explained what was going on and he then went back to his truck and he pulled out a gun along with a satellite phone. We used his satellite phone and we called the police. They then said they would be there in about 5-7 to seven minutes. While we were waiting, Jane investigates the woods and then screams. I quickly look over in the direction she was looking in and I see the man walking straight toward us. Jane then yells, that's him, that's him. The driver of the truck takes one good look at him, then fires a warning shot at him. The gunshot then sends him running right back into the woods. After three minutes of waiting in fear, the cops arrive. They called in a team to check the woods, along with a AAA truck to fix my car. Pretty much the rest of the night was just me and Jane at the police station. We really tried our best to give the best description of the man that we could, but it was just so dark and I could really barely make out his face. This had to have been the worst New Year's of my life. I really don't know what would have happened if Jane didn't spot the man when she did. But for anyone wondering, we've never gone back to that spot since. This happened when I was 13 years old and in the 8th grade. I'm a female. The middle school that I went to was about a 15 minute walk away, so not very far. For some context, my older brother and I grew up in East LA in a really small house that had a metal gate, and both the front and back doors had a black metal screen door as well as a wooden door. 
During the day, we would leave the wooden door open and have the black metal door closed and locked. Except this day. That day I had came home from school and I had about an hour before anyone else would be home. I was really thirsty so I rushed inside and grabbed a drink then sat down at the kitchen table which was about 10 feet away from the front door. I then heard the metal gate then open and I was really surprised as no one should have been coming home that early. I got up to see who it was and I saw that it was an older man, probably in his 60s. He had short white hair and a really long white beard. He was wearing an ACDC t-shirt, torn jeans, and sunglasses. I remember thinking that he looked a lot like Santa Claus, but really dirty and creepy. He went on to knock on the metal screen door and he asked if my parents were home. I was a really dumb kid and I said that they weren't. He got a smile on his face and he said that he collected donations for needy children. I told him sorry but I didn't have any money. He said that sometimes children donated old toys. I said I didn't have any old toys to donate though. He then insisted that I must have some toys that I didn't want anymore. He was beginning to really creep me out and I noticed that I hadn't even locked the door when I came inside. I tried to keep my cool as I slowly and very carefully locked the door. I kept him talking so he wouldn't notice. A minute or two later he wouldn't leave. So I decided I would pretend to check for toys then say I didn't have any so he would then hopefully leave. I told him I would go check and as I turned and took a few steps down the hall, I clearly heard him yank at the door, trying to open it. I didn't want him to know that I had heard, so I just kept walking down the hall and into a room. I didn't have a cell phone and the only phone in the house was in the kitchen. I thought about what to do and decided to stick with my plan. After about two or three minutes, I walked out hoping he had left. Nope, creepy ass Santa man was still there. I told him sorry but I didn't find anything. He then sighed and he said alright and that he would check another time. He finally left and walked across the street. I watched from the kitchen window peeking through the blinds as he just stood there staring at my house for about 45 minutes. My brother and a few of his friends finally came walking down the street. As my brother came inside and his friends kept walking down the street, the man then walked around the corner then disappeared. I told my older brother what happened and he walked outside to look but creepy Santa man was long gone. When my mom came home we told her what happened and she called the police but they said to just call back if he showed up again. Thankfully he never showed up again after that. And I'm really glad. This happened on December 21st when I was just 7 years old. My grandma was babysitting me at the time. I was playing with my Power Ranger action figures in my bedroom while she watched TV in the living room downstairs. Right at around 5 that evening, my mom had finally got home from work. She came into my room and then she told me to get ready. She wanted to do some Christmas shopping and get some more presents for my dad before he came back from his business trip. I honestly didn't really want to go but I had no choice because my grandma was already really tired of babysitting me for the whole 10 hours and she just really wanted to go home. So I felt that it wasn't really fair for her to have to stay longer than she already did so I just agreed to go. I threw on my jacket, gloves, and beanie and prepared myself for the journey to our local mall. 
Our mall wasn't really the greatest one in the world, and it was actually kind of small. It always seemed empty every time I went there, even around the holidays. The main reason my mom wanted to go there in the first place was because she knew there wouldn't be a lot of people and that it wouldn't be that crowded. As we entered the mall, I think my mom's expectations actually came true because as we looked around, there was hardly anyone in there. We really only saw a handful of people. One good reason for that was mostly because the mall itself isn't really pretty to look at. All of the Christmas decorations looked really uninspired and depressing. I even went into one of the stores and saw some really crappy looking snowflakes that were made out of cardboard and were poorly painted white. Some of the brown from the cardboard was actually still showing because it wasn't painted all the way. Not to mention that they were hanging by some very thick and crappy looking strings from the ceiling of the store. Anyways, around an hour later of non-stop walking and waiting, I was starting to get extremely bored and tired. My mom noticed and she told me that she just needed to go to one more store and then we could leave. As we arrived at the last store, I saw that there was a little arcade place right next to it. The cheap claw machines and the colorful lights immediately caught my attention. Right before my mom and I walked into the store, I stopped her by pulling on her arm and then pointed towards the arcade place. After she got a good look at it, she peered down at me and then shot me one of those, are you serious, type of looks that moms just do so well. I was absolutely begging her to let me go and explore the arcade. I told her that it was only one store away from where she was going, so it shouldn't be a big deal. My mom looked back at the arcade, then back at me. She finally told me that I could go, but I was only to look and not beg for money to play any of the games. She also told me that if something bad happened, to immediately yell for her or to run to the store that she would be in. After hearing this, I told her that I understood and she let me go explore the wonders of the arcade. As I walked in, it was completely empty, but all the games were visibly on and ready to be played with. I quickly rushed over to the Street Fighter game and began smashing the buttons and whipping around the joystick to act like I was actually playing the game. After that, I headed over to a hunting game. You know, the one where there are two shotguns. One's green and one's orange, and you have to aim the shotguns at the screen to shoot the animals. That was always my favorite game. I immediately picked up the green shotgun and started shooting at the screen to pretend like I was actually killing these pixelated animals. After a few seconds of playing, I had then spotted someone out of the corner of my eye. It was a grown man entering the arcade. He was easily over six feet tall and he was wearing this long brown coat that looked really dirty. He had a scruffy looking beard and he was wearing a black beanie with a visible hole on the side of it. However, it was really his eyes that caught me off guard. His right eye looked too widely open. It almost looked like his right eye was about to burst right out of his eye socket, while his left eye looked droopy and tired. The guy obviously freaked me out, but my mother always told me to never be rude to others, especially if it's just over their appearance. So after analyzing him from the corner of my eye for a good few seconds, I looked back at the screen and continued to pretend that I was playing my game. I then started to hear something coming from beside me and I started to feel the ground beneath me then vibrate ever so slightly. Instead of using the corner of my eye to see what it was, I fully turned my head all the way around to see more clearly. When I did, I then immediately jumped back in fear. 
The man was literally standing right beside me now. The man which obviously knew that he startled me, then looked at me with this emotionless look on his face, and then said to me, Wow, didn't mean to scare you there, kiddo. I was still very much startled by this man, and even though I was seven years old, I wasn't an idiot. My mom had always told me all about stranger danger, and this guy had totally gave off serious danger vibes. Like, what was he even doing in an arcade trying to approach and talk to a seven-year-old kid like that who he didn't even know? Nevertheless, I didn't want to seem rude, so I spoke back to him and then said, Oh, it's okay. I just didn't see you coming. After I said this, the man looked at me and then shot me with a creepy-looking smile. When he did, I got a really good glimpse of his teeth, and I really wished that I hadn't. They were really yellow, and they looked severely rotten. I could even see cracks in some of his teeth, and it looked like this guy had never touched a toothbrush in his entire life. After he was done with his creepy smile, he then looked at the game which I was pretending to play. Right out of nowhere, I watched in horror as the man stretched out his arm and then grabbed my shoulder to pull me closer to him. When he did, he looked at me with that creepy looking smile yet again, and then he said these exact words to me. You know kid, I have a whole bunch of games like the ones here in this arcade out in the back of my van. Some of the games I have haven't even been released to the public yet. I've actually been looking for kids just like you to come and play some of these new games. You can test them to see if they're fun enough to be released to arcades all around the world. So what do you say kid? Do you want to go try out some of these new games? After the man said this, I then felt my heart then sink to my stomach. As I said, my mom always told me all about stranger danger, and she especially told me about people trying to lure little kids into vans. Trying to show as little fear as possible, I looked at the man and then said, Oh no, I couldn't. My mom wouldn't like that and I would get into a lot of trouble. After I said this, the man's disgusting smile turned into this vile, sinister-looking frown. It kind of looked like the frown you would make whenever your parents told you you couldn't get a candy bar from the dollar store, but even worse. Seeing this type of frown on a grown man's face, especially with such hideous-looking facial features, truly was one of the most terrifying things that I've ever seen in my life. As the man continued to look at me with this awful gaze and frown on his face, I could now feel his grip on my shoulder begin to tighten. His grip on my shoulder got so tight, I thought he was going to pop my shoulder right out of place. I finally got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore, and I opened my mouth to scream for my mom. He noticed though, and he was way faster than me. Before I could even let out a peep, he wrapped his other hand over my mouth and began to drag me behind one of the arcade machines. I kept trying to kick and punch him, but my attempts at trying to free myself were doing absolutely nothing to phase him. He dragged me behind one of the games in a matter of seconds, and he was holding me tightly. There was literally nothing I could do. The nasty man began to reach into one of his pockets of his coat, and I watched in horror as he slowly pulled out a dirty-looking needle. I did everything in my power to scream or to make as much noise as possible trying to make my presence known to anyone within the mall. After I saw that needle though, I was completely paralyzed with fear. I just watched as the man started taunting me by waving the dirty needle around in my face while slightly laughing. Then I watched as the man started to slowly edge the needle closer and closer to my arm, 
In that very moment, I thought that my wife was completely over and that I was actually going to die. But out of nowhere, I then heard laughter entering the arcade. The man and I both paused for a brief moment, just listening. We both had heard what sounded like a group of people entering the area. In that very moment, I felt the man's grip on my mouth loosen up just a slight little bit. And then right then, all of my reflexes took over my whole entire body. I started to bite down as hard as I could on the man's hand. I heard him screech in pain and as he did so, I was able to free myself from his grip completely and then ran as fast as I could right out of the arcade. I was rushing towards the store my mom was at. Before I even got into the store, I saw my mom leaving with a bag full of stuff. I immediately lunged at her, giving her a great big hug with my eyes filled with tears. She immediately dropped everything she was carrying and she then hugged me back with a very concerned look on her face. She kept repeatedly asking me what was wrong, but I wasn't able to give a clear answer yet. I just kept crying and crying. As we exited the mall and got into our car, I was finally beginning to calm down a bit. I then explained everything to my mom as best as I could. On the car drive home, my mom kept repeatedly asking me what the man looked like, but since I was only seven, I was only able to give her a few details. I told her that the man was really tall and that he was wearing a brown coat and that he had weird looking eyes. With that very little information, my mom didn't try and call the police. She knew that what I said didn't have enough description to completely identify a person, but she did make a report to the mall. She alerted the mall that there was a child predator that was on the loose in the stores. The mall then said that they would take a look at the security cameras and then notify her the next day. As we arrived to our house, I was mentally and physically shaking. My mama told me that she was going to take the present she bought from the mall inside the house and that she would be right back out to take me to my room. As she went inside the house, not even a few seconds later, I heard something that woke me up out of my scared little daze. It was the sound of a car honking its horn. I immediately turned my head from the back seat of our car to look through the rear view window and that's when I saw a rusty old looking white van slowly cruising past my house. After a few seconds, the van started to speed up and then took off down the road. Seeing that van only made me think that it would belong to the man that I had that awful encounter with at the mall. I tried my best to reassure myself that there was just no way he could have followed us home. After the van sped down the road though, my mom came out of the house to get me from the car and then take me to my room. Later that night, I had received all types of different questions from my mom. She kept asking how I was feeling and if I would like to talk to someone about my experience. She kept on asking if there was anything that would make me feel better. I really only answered a few of her questions because I was still visibly very shaken from the experience. Before my mom put me to bed, she told me she would make sure to find me extra Christmas presents to try and make me feel better. However, at the current state I was in at the time, I really didn't care about any Christmas presents. Although I was extremely frightened by the experience, I was also exhausted. Just a few minutes after my mom finally left me alone, I turned to face my window so I could watch the snow outside. As a kid, I would always love to sleep with the blinds open to my window so that I could watch the snow outside. It would always really help me to go to sleep. And only a few seconds after watching the snow, I then fell straight to sleep. Later on during the night, I was then awoken by a really strange sound. 
When I woke up, I was facing the door to my room and not towards my window. The sound was coming from my window, though. Whatever the sound was, it was really consistent, and it kind of sounded like a tapping. I honestly don't really know what I was thinking at the moment, but I could start to feel my body begin to turn uncontrollably to face the window. Once my body was fully turned around and I was fully facing the window, my deepest nightmare then came true. I saw the man from the mall standing right outside my bedroom window, with his face pressed up against the glass to where I could see his awful rotting teeth. His creepy and grim eyes stared right back at me. I watched in terror as I saw him holding that same dirty needle. He had been tapping it against the glass, which was the source of the noise I heard. It took me about a full 10 seconds to realize what was happening, and I immediately stood up from my bed and started screaming. I ran out of my bedroom and towards my mom's room, waking her up at 2 in the morning with my cries of terror. I told her that I saw the man from the mall standing outside my window. She told me to wait in her room while she went to go check if the man was really out there. A couple of minutes passed and she walked back in the room, then telling me that there was no one out there. She didn't even see a set of footprints leading towards our house. Honestly, I didn't care and I just slept with my mom for the rest of the night. When morning arrived, my mom received a call from the mall. They informed my mom that the security cameras within the arcade were actually under maintenance so they didn't get clear footage of the man who attacked me. However, there was a camera that was actually located right outside the arcade, and they did get a glimpse of the man walking out. Unfortunately, however, they only saw a tiny side of the man's face, as well as the clothes he was wearing. That's it. My mom, who was obviously frustrated, had a really long talk with the mall manager, but after nearly an hour of talking, there was nothing she could do. After that night, I spent a lot of my childhood going to therapy. I'm trying to do everything in my power to forget what happened. Every Christmas just isn't the same anymore, and I really don't think I could ever step foot in a mall ever again after what happened to me. To this day, I don't really know if I truly saw the man at my window or if it was just my imagination. I guess I'll never find out for sure. So just remember everyone. Never talk to strangers and never interact with people you don't know. If a stranger looks suspicious to you or acts suspicious around you, try to find a public area or some sort of security. My childhood was permanently ruined at the age of seven, and I'll never get those years back. You can still save yours though if you just be careful, be smart, and of course be safe. Take care everyone. Hey everyone, apologies for the brief interruption on the stories, but I wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Best Fiends. I had recently started searching for a puzzle game that could give me a really good challenge, something that requires more than the same exact strategy round after round. But the more my search went on, the more I wondered if I'd ever even find it. And that's when I came across Best Fiends, the mobile puzzle game that always leaves your brain feeling refreshingly challenged. The game is so challenging, fun, and unique, and it really makes my brain feel like it got a deep tissue massage. Best Fiends is so much more exciting than any of the other matching puzzle games that I've played before. You know, the ones where all you do is smash candy over and over again. It's almost too much fun that I can't stop playing it. Not that that's been a problem though, 
since Best Fiends literally has thousands of fun puzzles to solve. I'm on level 4 right now, so I've still got a lot more to go. With Best Fiends, there's something new to play every single day, and the collectible characters just keep on coming. I really enjoyed the level 3 battle against the Slug Menace. It was really fun, silly, and challenging, and I had a good time battling that one out. Best Fiends also constantly puts out updates, so there's always going to be something new to explore. Perhaps you're like me and have some doubts about finding a good puzzle game with more to offer. I highly suggest you give Best Fiends a try, but just don't blame me if you can't put it down. Download the 5 star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. So, for some background information, this happened about a year or two ago. I was either 10 or 11 years old, but I can't really recall. I know I'm young, but I really wanted to share this story. One day, me and my sister decided to go to Walmart. I don't really remember why we went, though. I think we just needed some groceries or something. Keep in mind, my sister's 19 during this story. So we're just doing our regular thing, buying stuff, talking about non-important things, etc. Some time goes by and we're just getting to the self-checkout line and I see this older man. He looks to be around his mid-40s. He has black hair and he's really tall. He's accompanied by a child who's around 9 or 10. I just figured it was his son but I just ignored them and didn't really think too much about them. So we're scanning our items and me and my sister were just talking. Then me and my sister got into an argument. I don't really remember what it was about, but all I remember is hearing my sister say, Ugh, you're just so aggravating. Which I didn't really care too much about it because I've been called insults that usually revolve around my big mouth for as long as I can remember. But then the man with the black hair turned around, looked at me and my sister, and then said, Don't be so mean to me. He then started laughing, and he told my sister that she was cute. We both kind of just stood there, trying to convince ourselves that he didn't say that. We were both really shocked, and we made a grossed-out face at him. I looked over at the kid who was standing right beside him, and I realized he was smiling. Actually smiling. I thought that the whole thing was just really creepy and bizarre, and I could really tell how uncomfortable my sister was. So we turned around and finished checking out our things and booked it the hell out of there. When we got in my sister's jeep, we looked at each other and just talked about what happened. We both agreed how creepy it was. Then we drove home. We told my mom and dad about it, but they just thought it was some creep and his son looking to scare some young girls or something. But here's my question. Why did he hit on my sister without even knowing her age? People usually tell my sister that she looks really young for her age. And I mean, she looked like she was 16 during this encounter. I know this story is pretty mild, but I'm really glad nothing drastic happened after that. But some people really aren't as lucky. So just be really careful when people act creepy around you. Whether you're a guy or girl, literally anything can happen. This was in late spring 2017 in Washington State. I had made a new friend named Jen, and we had started to hang out a little more frequently. I was 20 and she was 22. 
Both of us had long black hair, some facial piercings, and we were occasionally mistaken for siblings. She had a girlfriend at the time who worked at one of the Walmarts in town. This Walmart was the one that I had never been to prior to this day. It was located in a part of town that I particularly didn't really like due to it being riddled with drugs and crime. Jen had asked me if I would drive her over to the Walmart so she could see her girlfriend on her break and have a quick cigarette with her. I told her yes because I figured it would be a quick and a little fun adventure since we weren't really doing anything else. It was early in the afternoon and I kept having a really uneasy feeling about going the entire time that I was driving there. I just felt like something bad was going to happen, but I brushed it off and just figured I was working myself up over nothing. When we pulled up and started walking towards the front doors, I noticed there was a car parked at the very front of the building with the hood popped. It was kind of in between the two separate entrances that most Walmarts have. There were three younger guys, 20 to 25 years old roughly, and they were leaning against the car and were just staring at us as we walked in. I figured they might have thought that we were pretty or something. However, I just couldn't help but get this horrible vibe from them. We walked inside and Jen went over to talk to her girlfriend and we all went outside to smoke a cigarette. On our way out the door, I noticed that the car was still parked in the very same spot with the hood popped up. And again, the guys had started staring at us again. I kept getting a really huge rush of anxiety and it just didn't feel right. I decided that maybe I was just nervous because I had never met Jen's girlfriend and maybe I'm just really socially awkward. We finished up our cigarettes and we walked back inside. While we were out there, many people had stopped and offered the young men help, but they just declined every time. I could see them shake their head no and I was far enough away that I could barely hear much, but I did hear them say that they had a friend coming to help them jumpstart their car. After we got inside, Jen said goodbye to her girlfriend and we talked about what we were going to do for the next couple of hours until her girlfriend was off work. We continued to discuss this on our way out the door. We were crossing the main driving area up in the front and walked into my car when one of those guys from that car then came running up to us. He was fairly good looking and he seemed like a normal 20-something guy. He had started to smile and he asked if we had any jumper cables to jump their car. Having heard them say earlier that their friend was on their way to jump their car, I figured they were getting impatient on waiting or their friend must have bailed on them or something. I told him that I did and that if he wanted me to jump the car, I can pull my car up there to help him out, but he would have to connect the cable since I didn't really know where they hook up at. That's when he then said back, How about I just ride with you in your car so I can show you where our car is? Now, this really struck me as extremely odd, so I just said back, I can see your car. It's the one parked right in the front of the building, right? Right at this time, I looked over at Jen who had the same expression of what the fuck is going on here on her face as I did. He then said, Yeah, but I could just ride with you guys because I can help guide you when you're driving up to the car. No, that's okay. I can drive up there myself, I said. This is when I really started to panic because we had been walking to my car this entire time when we were talking and I was almost to it. I had parked pretty far out in the parking lot as well so there weren't really many cars around and all the cars that were around were empty so there really wasn't anyone that I could call for help. The guy made one last plea by saying, Well, can I ride with you so I don't have to walk all the way back up there? 
It's really a far walk and you'll get to my car before I do. I finally had enough of this dude and trying to be nice, and I said very sternly, Look dude, I'll jumpstart your car, but you're not getting in my car. Fine, he said, and he seemed pretty disappointed. We got in my car and Jen and I talked about whether we should even go help him now, all the while buckling our seatbelts. We ultimately decided that if we were in the front of the building, we should be fine since it was broad daylight and there were pretty much cameras everywhere and there was also quite a few people in the area. What we saw next made all of the blood rush out of my face. As we drove up to the parking road towards the front of the building where the car was parked at, I then saw the guy that we had just talked to running to the car while the other two guys slammed the hood shut, started the car, then peeled out of the parking lot right as the other guy got in the car. I parked my car in another space and I tried to call my fiance and tell him what happened and I asked him if he thought I should call the police. I was shaking and my eyes were tearing up. I had never felt that kind of fear before in my life. These guys just looked like your run-of-the-mill young and attractive guys. They were around my age and I always thought that these kind of things were really only done by creepy older men. You know, the kind you shy your children away from based off looks alone. Not by young attractive guys who probably graduated high school in the last five years. I couldn't get a hold of my fiance and I just really wanted to get the hell out of there because I just didn't feel safe anymore. I ended up deciding not to call the police which I still really regret to this day. It's been a little over three years now and whenever I think about this, I really wonder what that guy would have done if I had let him get in my car. A couple of weeks after this happened, I was watching the local news with my sister and fiance. They were running a story talking about an attempted kidnapping that had actually happened earlier that day at the very same Walmart that we had been to when our incident happened. They said that the unidentified individuals weren't caught but they were posing as people with car trouble that needed help. I'm absolutely positive that it was the same set of guys that we encountered that day. I now won't go anywhere near that side of town unless I absolutely have to. And if I ever go to the store, I always make sure my fiance's with me. I wasn't going to share this story at first, but now I'm more than over the situation. Before we start, I'd just like to say judge me all you want. I know I can be a bit stupid. My birthday had just passed on the 29th of November, making me 24 now. I'm only 5'2 and about 170 to 180 pounds. I'm strong enough to help move furniture but not strong enough to defend myself the way I would like. You would really think as someone who survived an attempted sexual assault I would have learned some self-defense, but I've really lost a lot of motivation and self-worth since. The abusive relationship really made it worse, but that's beside the point. So to start off, I won't get into any major details, but I had just moved to Jackson, Tennessee from Miami, Florida, because I had also just gotten out of an extremely physically, emotionally, and mentally abusive relationship that lasted three years. Around June, my current boyfriend and I had been going on trips pretty much every weekend. We would visit a new hiking and waterfall area. Although there isn't much nightlife, Tennessee is amazingly beautiful. We went to this place called Nero's of the Harpeth. This is one of the more underwhelming places that we've been, but it was still really relaxing. We had found a cool place to sit and swim after having hiked for two hours. A few shots and one blunt later, 
and it was time to make the hour-long trip back to Jackson. I had slipped my shoes and dress back on. My dress was a little bit above knee length, meaning if I bent too far forward, my little bum would be on display. I own my body and sexuality, so showing some skin never really bothers me, and I don't really think about it because I just expect people to respect me as I respect them and the way they dress. Anyways, on the way back to the car, I being the tipsy dumbass I am, managed to trip and fall and scrape my leg really badly. It's actually scarred now. I tell my boyfriend that we needed to go to Walmart once we're back in Jackson because I needed to thoroughly clean my wound with hydrogen peroxide and neosporin. My boyfriend says okay. An hour later, we're here at Walmart. Mind you, it's only about 9pm going on 10pm. Not late by any means. We get what I need, but because I'm still tipsy and really high from the blunt, I get distracted pretty easily, and I remembered that my boyfriend had got me the wrong size for my iPhone 11 Pro. He had actually got me a case for the Max instead of just the Pro. I wanted an idea of what I could trade it in for, and he wanted to look at some of the games as well as a gaming PC for me. So I'm happily tipsy and I'm just really excited for a new case. But if you've ever been to Walmart, then you know the cases are never in order. And because of this, you often have to bend down to look at things. I had noticed that there was a man looking at the cases as well, and I had just said, Excuse me, sorry, can I look at those cases that you're standing in front of? He looked at me with a really blank yet dirty look, then nodded and stepped over. I'm happily looking through the shelf and about five minutes in, this lady and what I can only assume were her two children then approaches me. Mind you, we're literally in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm really thrown off by how close she is to me. And especially with her baby that literally looks no older than nine months. I step back, and she grabs my arm and then says, Oh my gosh, wow, I haven't seen you in forever. Look at that hair, wow. Her grip tightens. At this point, my heart is racing, and my face gets hot enough to show that I'm visibly scared. And that's when my boyfriend then says, Uh, everything okay, babe? He then looks at me equally concerned. I begin to start thinking to myself, Does this lady know my mom or something? Who is she? Could she be an old family friend that I just don't remember? Mind you, I'm originally from Ohio. We do have family here in Tennessee, but I really don't know any of them. My mom really loves to brag about her kids, so I'm just really trying to shake this weird feeling, but her daughter just keeps looking behind me. I go to turn around and she then says, No, don't turn around. Come walk with me. Please just trust me on this. I don't know why, but I really felt that she was being genuine, so I followed her. We step over to the side by the baby clothes, which is still in front of the electronics, and she then says, Baby, I'm so sorry to scare you like this, but there were three men surrounding you. They went by the laptops and talked, and then I noticed one of the guys taking photos and videos of you while you were bent over looking at the cases. The other man was the tall guy that was right next to you, but I don't know where the third man went. In that moment, all I can remember is this high-pitched ringing in my ears, my stomach flipping, and I just felt like I was going to be sick. I never understood what people meant when they would say everything slowed down, but in that moment everything moved in slow motion, 
and I was so freaked out to the point that I actually have no clue what she said afterwards. It was as if I blacked out for a brief moment and then quickly came to the realization that the family and my boyfriend were looking at me visibly panicked. I turned around and there he was. He looked Hispanic and he was actually shorter than me and maybe about 5 foot 1, but he was very much built. He also looked to be around 40. The other man was white and also maybe in his mid-40s and he looked to be about 5'11". I swear to God, I'll never forget the dead blank range in the Hispanic man's eyes. It was like his first meal in five days had been stolen from him and he was ready to kill in order to have it back. That's when I then saw the white man walk over to him. They then said something, both looked at me, looked back at each other, said something else, and then started to walk slowly towards us. At that point, we all turned around and headed for the registers, and that's when I thanked my lucky stars because there were actually three cops at the front of the store. I rudely pushed past people to get to the self-checkout with tears in my eyes and frantically repeating excuse me to anyone who got in front of me. I looked back and I saw them just standing there. However, this time the third guy was there. My heart started to sink and I just wanted to pass out. I guess it looked like I was going up to the cops because they started to hightail it once they saw me get close to them. I being high as shit and being a black woman wasn't going to chance the cops turning this around on me because I was simply stoned and tipsy. My only thought was, get to the car, get to the gun, don't stop, run. My boyfriend had said that he could barely keep up with me, and at one point that I had grabbed his hand so tight he had to force the grip off because it felt like I was going to crush his hands. And before anyone bashes my boyfriend, let me just say, I don't expect a man to be my savior. He also isn't the angry confrontational type. He's very calm and level-headed. I mean, he wouldn't even hurt a fly unless I asked him to get rid of it for whatever reason. I just knew that I was the target and I was putting him at risk. I knew that they could easily jump him and then one of them could overpower me after taking him out. I probably looked really crazy half walking and passing everyone, but I didn't care. I wasn't going to become another missing woman. We made it to the car safely, then peeled out of there. I've never seen my boyfriend drive so fast in my life, as he's usually beyond careful and never speeds. We sat at a sonic drive-in for about an hour just to make sure we weren't being followed. We began to recount everything that happened. I just really couldn't believe that we were both too tipsy to notice that I'd become prey in somewhere as simple as Walmart. I've never felt more stupid and irresponsible in my life. I never want to experience that level of fear and panic in my life ever again. I didn't even get the chance to thank the lady who pretty much saved us. Sometimes we talk about it. I mean, what if the lady didn't see what the guy was doing? Even if we had caught on, there were three of them, and we only saw two at first. I always think of the horrors that could have happened. I actually had a nightmare on that same night that the men attacked us in the parking lot. The creepiest part of the nightmare was that the third man had shoved me in the trunk, and as I went to look at him, all I could see was a featureless face. I woke up in tears that night, realizing that I didn't get a clear look at the third guy's face. It took me nearly a month to enter a Walmart again. I've now moved states, and I've only been to Walmart once since moving here. 
So did the creepy men that stalked me, upskirted me, and basically followed me even when they knew I was around other people. I genuinely hope that we never meet again, because the gun I carry on my person now has three beautiful hollows that would really enjoy meeting all of you. So yeah, I just dare you to try something. A few years ago, my family and I went on a week-long vacation to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. One evening after dinner, we ended up going down to the beach. Not to swim, but just to take a stroll and play around on the beach. While my sisters, some friends, and I were down by the water, we kept noticing this flash right from behind us. Before long, we realized a really creepy dude was actually taking pictures of us. Once we figured this out, we ran to our parents and started telling them. At this point, he jumped back into his van, only to re-emerge a few seconds later with a totally different camera to begin taking pictures of random scenery. I guess he was doing this to cover up what we had just witnessed, probably in case we confronted him. After we told our parents, we began to head back to the house that we were staying at and we wrote down his license plate. You weren't able to see in any of the windows because they all had curtains over them. We never ended up reporting it to the police, though, because we just weren't 100% sure of anything. Well, a few years later after that event, that very same man was actually on the news. As it turns out, he was apparently arrested for attempted kidnapping, and he had rope, a bat, and duct tape in his van, as well as a bunch of pictures of children. I'm honestly really glad that nothing happened to any of us that day but it's really freaky to see him later down the line and realize what could have happened. During my life, I've had a lot of creepy things happen to me, but I've never been so close to almost being kidnapped before. I had gotten home from school and I felt like going to the store to get some dinner. During this time, I walked around a lot, so I didn't really think of anything weird or really creepy happening to me. I lived pretty close to a grocery store, so I thought I would be in and out and get back home before it hit dark. I left around 5.45pm and I told my parents that I was about to leave and to text me if they wanted me to get them anything. I was really happy to go out and take my sweet time on getting what I wanted. Walking really helps clear my mind and going into grocery stores and looking around just really calms me down, so I thought I was going to have a fun night. I was only planning on getting a few small things while I was in the store, so I wouldn't have to worry about the bag breaking while walking home. When I was almost done, I saw that my dad had texted me and said he wanted me to get some milk. I thought to myself, well I can just put it in two bags, that should work. But I knew that my time getting home would be slowed down a little bit because I had also bought a 2 liter bottle of soda for myself. I didn't really think anything bad of it because my neighborhood is thought as a really safe neighborhood. I mean, besides the burglaries that sometimes happen pretty often. While I was on my way home, my best friend at the time had called me and it was getting really late. So I realized that it would probably be for the best if someone was on the phone with me while I made the walk home. This happened out in October, so there were not that many people out walking. I think I'd only saw about two people that were walking besides me that night. I really wanted to walk with one of those people that I saw because I get a little spooked out at night, but she was walking in the other direction. I wasn't really planning on walking around so late, 
so I wasn't expecting it to start getting dark while walking. I have a really bad habit of taking too long in the grocery store, and I guess I forgot about that when I decided I would walk to and from it. When I was probably about seven minutes away from my house, there was this big black car that was driving around and it started to drive on the sidewalk right towards me. My first initial thought was this person is a psychopath, but then I remembered that this lady had actually asked me if I needed a ride when I was leaving the store, so I thought that this person probably just wanted to give me a ride as well. My best friend who was on the phone with me at the time was now asleep, so I now didn't have anyone's help to give me advice and I just knew that I didn't have enough time to text my parents. My parents always taught me that if something happens I'm to tell them or call them, so calling 911 just wasn't in my mind at the time. I looked over at the car and I saw that the person was now getting out of their car. I decided to start speed walking instead of running to avoid them from knowing that I was suspicious of them. This is when I then saw what the person looked like. He was white, tall, and really heavy looking. I saw that he had a short beard and a mustache and he looked like he was wearing a gray shirt and pants. During this time, it was really dark, so I wasn't able to see what color his pants were. When I turned to look back, I was totally freaking out. I had a million different thoughts going through my head, and I just didn't know what to do. I then saw that he was opening his passenger door and grabbing what I am pretty sure to be a baseball bat. My body then turned into fight or flight mode, and very thankfully, I chose not to fight. I started to run as fast as I could and kept looking back ever so often. I saw that he was chasing after me now and I started to scream. Thankfully, he didn't seem like a fast runner because he wasn't that close to me. I don't know why, but I only screamed twice and I actually still have the groceries in my hands, which was a pretty stupid decision if you ask me, but in my defense, I wasn't really thinking at the time. I just wanted to get the hell out of there. When I finally got to the road that my house was on, I looked back and I saw that his truck was still there, but I didn't see him. So I decided to keep running to my house just in case he was still after me. As I got closer to my house, I kept looking back to see if he was there. I really didn't want to risk him seeing where I lived and trying to do some really dumb shit later on. Thankfully he wasn't there and I finally made it safely to my house. I ultimately decided to not tell my parents because I just didn't really want them to start being overly controlling and not letting me have my freedom anymore. Ever since this happened to me, I've been absolutely terrified of the thought of walking at night. But I'm starting to get back into it and I think I'm going to buy some pepper spray really soon. So the story happened to me when I was about 8 years old. I'm 31 now, and I'm a female. My elementary school would give students these catalogs that had different kinds of chocolate in them to sell to people every year so that we could raise money for something. Honestly, I don't even remember what we were raising money for because this was so long ago, but I used to really love to sell the chocolate out of that catalog to my family and friends. We also used to have bake sales and stuff like that. It was really a lot of fun to me as a kid, but anyways... One day me and my sister, who was 10 at the time, decided to go through a couple of our neighborhoods and knock on random people's doors to try and make some sales. Well, that was a big mistake. 
We didn't realize at the time how dangerous it was for two little kids to go from door to door to complete strangers' houses with no adult supervision, but we had soon found that out. We were a little bit successful though. I made a few sales actually and so did my sister, so that really motivated us to keep on going. Me and my sister knocked on one of our neighbor's door and the short kind of chubby man with brown hair answered the door. He said, How can I help you? And he looked to be in his mid-thirties. We told him that we were trying to raise money for our school and that we're selling these goodies out of this catalog and we asked him if he'd like to buy something. He looked at us kind of hesitantly and he asked us weird questions like, What school did we go to? How old we were? Do our parents know that we're here right now? And really questionable things like that. Of course, we lied and told him yes, but in reality, they had no idea what we were doing. I think I actually do remember him looking at the catalog for a few seconds, then giving it back and saying, No thank you. He wasn't mean or anything, but he wasn't the friendliest guy either. So we just said okay and began to walk away. But right before we did, he then said, I really wouldn't go to anyone else's houses if I were you. You guys should start heading home. I don't think it's a good idea for you kids to be knocking on random people's doors like this. There's a lot of weirdos out here. You kids should just go home before it starts getting dark. And then he just shut the door. He didn't slam it or anything, but he didn't seem like he was a really friendly or social guy. So we were really glad to leave his porch. And of course, we didn't listen to him and kept knocking on people's doors. Maybe about 30 minutes later, me and my sister decided that we were going to go just a few more houses. We would then head home afterwards because we knew that our mom would be looking for us soon. She had already thought that we were at our friend's house and we didn't want her to find out that we weren't, so we had to make it quick. But what happened next is something I'll never forget. Me and my sister decided to split up. I went to one house and she went to the one next to it, but we were still close by. I went to the house and I knocked on the door. This older white lady answered the door. She had long, kinda grayish hair pulled back in a ponytail. She was wearing a t-shirt and jeans and I think she had some sneakers on from what I can remember. She looked to be in her late 50s, maybe even older. She was really friendly though. She had a really big smile on her face and she then said, Hey, how can I help you? I then told her about the catalog and I asked her if she wanted to buy anything. Basically the same line that I use for all the others. She kind of giggled a little bit and just disregarded my question. Then she asked me if I was alone. I then told her, No, my sister's at the neighbor's house. She asked me how old I was and I told her my age. Then I noticed her looking at me for a few seconds, then asking if I wanted some candy. I thought it was kind of weird that she didn't answer my question, but I mean, I was an 8 year old kid. Of course I wanted some candy. So I said yes, thinking that she was just going to go get it and bring it to me at the door. But she had actually told me to come in her house because the candy was inside. I felt kind of weird about it, so I told her that I should go get my sister first. She then said, Oh, come on. It's just right here. It'll be really quick. I just want to give you some candy, sweetie. That's all. But I mean, if it was really just right there like she said, then why couldn't she just hand it to me at the door? That was a huge red flag. I still felt a little bit weird about it, but being the young and naive eight-year-old that I was, 
I said okay and began to step into her house. Literally right before I can get my second foot in the door, my sister came out of nowhere and grabbed me by the collar of my shirt, yanking me back so fast that she choked me a little bit. She pulled me down the stairs and off the lady's porch and we took off running out of the neighborhood. I remembered that when we finally felt it was safe, we stopped to catch our breath and I was crying. I guess that I was scared or felt bad about the whole situation or something. That's never happened to me before, so I really had no idea that what I did was wrong. My sister sat me down and wiped my tears and she told me that she heard the entire thing. She had actually walked over to the lady's house when she was done next door, and that's when she heard her asking me questions about my age and if I was alone. She then hid on the side of the house just listening to her. Then when she saw her trying to get me to come into her house for the candy, that's when she freaked out and then pulled me off the porch and we ran. My sister was a little bit older than me, so she knew a bit better than I did. She told me that in her class a couple days ago, they had apparently watched a video about kids' safety and how to know the signs of a kidnapper or pedophile. And the number one thing they used to lure in kids is candy. So my sister knew right then that something wasn't right. She really did save my life that day. I guess we should have listened to the man after all. I really do think that he was a guardian angel trying to deliver that message to save my life. I just wish we would have listened. I am beyond glad that my sister watched that video and had that discussion in her class. I think that it's really important that adults talk about these things with kids, at home and at school. I still to this day wonder what the hell that lady was planning on doing to me. Why did she want me to come into her house so bad? Why did she want to give me candy? Why did she want to know how old I was and if I was alone? What if my sister wasn't there to pull me off that porch when she did? And on top of all of that, no one even knew where we were. So if something were to happen to me or even the both of us, no one could have saved us. That's a really scary thought. My guardian angel was definitely watching over me that day. But back to that creepy lady. For some reason, I have a strong gut feeling that she wasn't alone in that house. And I have a really good feeling that whatever she had planned, it wasn't to give me candy. But I'm just really glad that I never found out what it was. So I have a twin and we're very close. We grew up in a small town. Just about everyone knew each other, but that doesn't mean it was entirely safe. We were always taught by our parents to be very weary of strangers and locking doors, as well as never opening the door to strangers. We often stayed by ourselves after school while our parents worked, so we had plenty of experience staying alone. When we graduated from high school, we had moved to the largest city in our state and also attended the state university. We left our home, but we weren't really too worried since we had each other. I guess this is when I share that I don't really know what in the hell made us change our perspective on safety when moving to a larger city with greater risks and weirdos. We've had our fair share of weirdos creeping on us, but our stupid asses never locked our doors. The funniest part about this is that we're absolutely crazy about horror films, so I mean, we really should have known better. Right towards our junior and senior year of university, around 2017 to 18, we moved to a cheaper part of the city to save on rent as our part-time jobs at the time only paid so much on campus. It was a really quiet and family area. We also had a tall wooden fenced-in yard so nobody could see in. 
The place was old, but it was really cute and it had some character to it. But most importantly, it was really cheap and it was close to a bus stop. It was an old fourplex and after about a year of living there, our security door broke because of rotting wood and I guess our landlord never got around to fixing it despite our requests. The front and only door to the apartment was a door with a wooden door with glass. Anyway, I often walked home from late night studying at school around 3am by myself. I was very careless and so was my sister. I suppose we never locked our doors because my sister was so forgetful that she just never had her home keys with her. I didn't want to worry about her staying outside for hours until I was out of school or work. We never really thought that anything could happen to us, that that was only in the movies which is why I will say that it was divine intervention or just crazy luck that for that one night, for no real reason, the door of our apartment was actually locked. It was on a Saturday night. I can't really remember that well what happened before the ordeal, but I think that my sister and I went home after a brief night at a bar having a beer and walking home together. My sister and I never did really have that many friends or acquaintances, let alone tell the one or two friends that we did have where we lived. That was partly because we didn't really have a new or nice place to have anyone over without apologizing. So when we heard our broken and old wooden gate door open right next to our bedroom window at around 4am, we immediately woke up. Not alarmed, but really confused. Shortly afterwards, we had then heard a knock on the door, and it was very persistent too. My stupid ass sister walks with her eyes wide open straight to the door and puts her hands right on the lock and door as she's about to unlock it. I'm right behind her and I'm already seeing red flags. There's a guy in a black hoodie covering his face and he's hiding his face away from the neighbor's porch lights so that we couldn't see him. It was all happening way too fast and we had just woken up so we were thinking he was a rare friend of ours or something. I blurted out for her to stop. I went to go grab my phone in a heartbeat. It was a really small apartment too, so it wasn't too far. I can hear my sister asking this creep who the hell he was. He said in a calm voice, Just open up. I was able to see that he was fiddling with his phone, but I was hiding behind the hallway right next to the tiny living room area. No, who the hell are you? My sister then asked. He then proceeded to jiggle the door handle. That's when I told my sister I was calling 911. My heart was just pounding like it never has before. The creep then proceeds to say, Look, I know you're alone. He said this with so much ease, it was almost like a whisper. I started freaking the hell out and I began to dial 911 on my phone. My sister starts backing up without removing her eyes from our glass door. She meets me in the hallway and she tells the creepy guy that she's calling 911, but she tells me not to do anything because he's leaving. Sure enough, he simply just says, Oh, okay. And then he leaves. The guy even closes our wooden door, which let me tell you, it's actually like a chore to get that damn thing to close. My sister proceeds to tell me that they left, but I'm still freaking out and I can't calm down. We managed to go back to bed and sometime in the morning we begin to make sense of it all. She tells me that when she was close to him what really threw her off was that he was apparently fiddling with his Spotify playlist. Which is a pretty weird thing to do when you're knocking on someone's door. 
He most likely did this to keep his face down, but my sister caught on quick enough. We ended up calling our parents to inform them on what happened and of course they totally flip out and they then force us to notify the police. We ended up doing so and the cop shows up to take our complaint but can't really do anything about it since they were long gone. My sister at the moment was dating a guy who apparently had a family member that had a high position in law enforcement. He was retired, but we got him to help us out by doing some digging. A little while passes, but her boyfriend then shares the terrifying information with us. I'll try to relay this to the best of my ability since I can really only remember so much about it. My sister's boyfriend had a side gig as a bouncer at the College Bar Street and he said he spoke to other bouncers that told him that they had occurrences that day of some creepy hooded dude following young girls in the clubs, and they were getting complaints from them, which is probably how he saw us. God only knows why he didn't make his move when we walked home in the dark. The retired family member was only able to relay a little bit of information, since this wasn't an official case and he could really get in trouble for doing this kind of questioning or research without a warrant. He notified us that there was not only one dude outside our house, but more. Street cameras had indicated that there were two other guys, aside from the one jiggling our door handle, waiting right outside the gate next to our bedroom window, most likely to jump out right as we opened the door. I don't know what their mode of transportation was, but I'm sure they had something big enough to fit captives. He never told us the names of the guys, only that they were under suspicion of trafficking women. I don't really know what possessed my sister and I to lock our doors that night. Had it been opened, the guy could have definitely opened it and taken us. Needless to say, we're now very, very paranoid about locking up at night. I'm very grateful things turned out the way they did instead of the alternative. Please be careful about locking your doors or walking alone at night. This shit really does happen, and it's very real. So right when I had just finished college, I was living in a one-bedroom townhouse slash split. I met a guy on Plenty of Fish and at the time, I wasn't exactly smart about my online digital footprint. It's not like I've really changed, but at least now I'm not as ridiculous as I was. Anyways, he seemed like a really decent guy. He was really good looking, he said he had a good job, nice teeth, and he looked like he really cared about his personal health. Pretty much all the things that I would typically look for in a guy. I'm not a shallow human, but I really like to be presentable. And if I'm with someone, I would like them to care about being presentable in a business environment also. After about a week of chatting online, we agreed to meet. We had met at a restaurant that was downtown, which was really far from where I lived. Right when I got there, I had noticed him standing at the door. We sat down to eat, and the evening went really great. At the end of the date, we said bye and I got into my car and began to drive away. I realized right away that he was following me. Because of the distance to my house, I wasn't immediately scared because it's a really big city. Maybe he'll turn off the freeway or something. But he didn't. My exit was coming up and I decided not to take it. I just kept driving. I circled the entire city on the freeway and he stayed right behind me the whole time. I was really starting to panic a bit, so I decided to go to my friend's house instead of mine, and when I pulled out of the exit, I noticed that he didn't. So I had a little bit of a moment to breathe, and I just decided, okay, screw it, I'll just go home. 
I took the off-ramp back onto the freeway and began going back to my exit. I got home and showered and was getting ready for bed. I started feeling really dumb and I started thinking things like, was that really him? Am I overreacting? Maybe I should ask him if he was following me. Pretty much just a number of things racing through my overactive imagination. Or so I thought. I decided I was going to message him and just say, Hey, I had a good time tonight. Good night. And right when I started typing, all of a sudden a message came through to my phone of a picture of my car right outside my house. I nearly died upon seeing that. My heart jumped out of my chest and I started shaking. I didn't know what to say and he then texts me and says, I didn't know you lived across the street from me. Now, I've met my neighbors before, and not once have I ever met him. There's a huge apartment complex kitty corner to my townhouse, so maybe that's where he lived. I don't know. I popped up and I went to go look outside, and there he was, just standing there outside like he was waiting for me. I opened the door and he asked if he could come in and if I still wanted to hang out. I told him I was really exhausted as I'd rather just crash out as it had really been a long day. The very next morning I woke up to go to work and my windshield had been smashed, my car was keyed, and my bag two tires were completely slashed. As I was noticing the damage to my vehicle, the guy comes out of his car with two coffees and is like, Oh, I thought I'd surprise you with a morning coffee. So again, I'm totally freaked out. I called the cops and I reported the damage to my vehicle. The guy offered to drive me, but something in my gut was just telling me not to get in his car. So I called my boss and I told him about the situation and I explained that I wasn't going to be there until after the police came. This guy just hung out the entire time, by the way. When the police finally got there, this guy was acting really suspicious. He walked away and he started hiding on the other side of his car. I filed the report and the police basically just told me that they hope I have insurance right as they were on their way to leave. They pulled around the corner and all I heard was the siren and then the cop car's lights turn on and then the cops screamed. Freeze! Put your hands in the air and get down on your knees! I turned to look and the cop has his gun drawn on this guy and the dude's on the ground getting arrested. I spoke with the cop after he got into the back of the car and he explained that he was wanted for stalking, breach of probation, assault with a deadly weapon, fraud as well as aggravated assault. I was absolutely shook. It took me a couple of days to get over the hypothetical situations that could have happened to me. About a week later, I was on my way out the door to work, and guess who was sitting right in my driveway? We live in Canada, so essentially you're released on conditions until you go to jail. I told him that I was late for work, but that I'd call him when I was done working. I never went to work that day. I went and found a new apartment in another area of the city. I changed my phone number and I hired my friend's husband and his friends to go pack my apartment up and move it to their place for about a month, and then move it to my new place because I was just so scared this dude would follow them while moving. So yeah, that's my scary story about the first time I used plenty of fish, and I'm never using it again. A couple of years ago, I was on this dating site where I had matched with a police officer. I thought that his dog was cute, and I figured this was my opportunity to finally pet a canine police dog. I was quickly disinterested though after listening to him complain about his recent divorce. 
I don't recall the details, but I remember that it was very apparent that he was the problematic person in that relationship. I was also really grossed out by how he fetishized me for my big sloppers, tattoos, and my colorful hair. I was very upfront and I told him that I wasn't interested and that he was setting off some major red flags for me. He begged me to give him another chance, but I just said no and I blocked his number. Well, a few days later, I had got a knock on my door at around midnight. It startled me so much that my heart actually dropped into my butt. I looked out my people and I see a stranger holding food. It's an Uber Eats delivery driver. I tell him through the door that I didn't order any food, but he said that someone else ordered it for me and that he knew my name. I asked who ordered it and he said a name that I didn't even recognize. I tell him that I don't want the food and I give him the directions to go to the dumpster to throw it out because at this point I have no idea if he's actually from Uber. Later on, I'm going through my dating app matches and I realize it was the cop's name. I go through my blog messages and this guy had texted me a lot. The last text said, I really hope you liked your dinner. I decide that it's probably best that I unblock him so I can keep an eye on what he's saying to me just in case I need to be worried about my safety or if I'm going to need to go buy some bear mace to drop a cop. A few weeks later, I'm at work and I get a call from a number that I don't recognize. I answer though because I assume it's a new client. The voice on the other line then says, Hey Rachel, I'm at a Starbucks across the street. What's your drink order? Uh, who is this? I don't think I have you in my appointment book. I said, assuming it's a regular and made a scheduling error. He says his name, and again, my heart drops right into my butt. How the hell does he know where I work at? I ask him how does he know where I live and work at, and he explains that he did a reverse image search on my photos from my dating profile. From there, he found my social media and my Yelp page from my salon, then looked up my address from there. I tell him that I'm calling his station and I'm going to be reporting him for stalking, and if he ever comes near me, I'll consider it a threat and I'll be ready to physically defend myself. I'm not kidding. After all that, he still actually begs me to give him another chance. I hang up the phone, call the police station he works for, then complain. They won't even let me email screenshots of my creepy texts from him. I could just tell nothing would be done. The lady on the phone literally said, Oh, I'm sorry. He's going through a lot right now. Literally treating it like he's the victim here. He mostly left me alone after, but I was really so scared of living alone for the first time in my life. I have a semi-popular meme page on Instagram with about 8,000 followers. I sifted through and I actually found about 5 of his accounts. I blocked them and I just moved on. Now, this was all several years ago, but all these memories came flooding back when I had noticed a familiar profile photo on an account who commented on a post. I must have somehow missed an account of his when blocking. I had posted a photo of me holding two big tunas that I had caught on a fishing trip, and he commented, God, I really wish I was one of those fish. I'd love to know what it's like to be held by you. I mean, what a damn creep. Thinking back on this now, everything happened in such a whirlwind, I don't even know where to begin. I guess a good place to start would be meeting my brother's girlfriend, who I'll call Sarah, for the very first time. By the time that they had been dating for a couple of weeks, I had seen her in passing a couple times whenever she'd come over, 
but her and my brother, who I'll call Isaac, would always go right up to his room, so I didn't officially meet her until mid-April of 2019. Isaac had told us that she had been too nervous to meet us up until this point, fearing we wouldn't like her, which I understood, but at the same time, I was really eager to meet the girl who had all but taken over all of Isaac's attention. I mean, he was like seriously glued to his phone talking to her all the time. So when Isaac had told me that we would finally get to meet her, I was both excited and intrigued. Sarah lived about 20 minutes away, and usually she would take a lift to the house where my brother and cousins lived, and her and Isaac would do whatever it was they did all day in his room. But on this particular day in question, she informed Isaac that she didn't have enough money to take a lift, and that she would be walking over instead, which would take her a couple of hours. My brother didn't have his license at the time. Getting into a car accident with a friend a few years before this kind of delayed his desire to drive. So he offered to find another ride for her, but she declined, saying that she wanted to make a good impression on me and my mom. And I guess she thought that asking for a ride over right before meeting us wouldn't look too good. So me and Isaac waited for her that afternoon. Isaac texting her the whole time, asking her how she was and how far away she was until she finally made it. I guess this would be a pretty good time to preface that I had already known a little bit about her from my brother, including the fact that she apparently had a really overprotective dad who would, despite Sarah being 18, be absolutely livid if he found out she had a boyfriend. He even went so far as to say that he would beat up any guy Sarah brought over to meet him and her mom. Well, after my brother relayed this to me and my mom, my mom didn't really have the best opinion of her. So, I mean, I can understand Sarah wanting to make a good impression. So, the afternoon went on without a hitch. Sarah was great, and I could really see why my brother liked her so much. They really seemed perfect for each other, right down to the tiny little details like their shared love of hats. That day, Sarah ended up meeting me, a couple of mine and my brother's friends, my dad, my other brother, and his wife and son. As far as I could tell, everyone really loved her. She was so charismatic that she got along with everyone. Although one thing that really stuck out to me happened while we were hanging out with a couple of our friends, Max and Sam. After the initial hellos and introductions, Max had gave Sarah a funny look to which she really looked confused. Me and Isaac soon noticing and also giving Max a confused look. That's when he then asked Sarah, Um, do I know you? It's Maggie, right? He then went on to imply them having dated or hooked up or something a couple years prior to this. Now, this had only further confused the three of us because Isaac had just introduced her as his girlfriend Sarah, so who the hell was Maggie? Sarah was really quick to deny this though, and instead saying that she had a cousin named Maggie and that maybe that's who Max was thinking of, but that she had recently died. Max didn't really buy this though, still pretty convinced Sarah was the one he was talking about. Everyone just kind of brushed this off, since Max commonly got details mixed up in certain situations and just chalked it up to a mix of that and Sarah having a cousin named Maggie. Despite this, we ended up staying a little while longer. The five of us were hanging out on Sam's driveway talking about things that I don't really remember now. There Sarah met everyone else, but there's not really anything else worth mentioning that happened that night. Flash forward a few weeks and it's now late May, early June and me and Sarah had really gotten quite close. She also finally met my mom who totally loved her just like my dad did. 
Although Isaac was two years older than me, we had actually shared the same group of friends, but we were all drifting apart save for Max, Sam, and our other friends Will, his girlfriend Lucy, and our friend Jack who was moving away soon. So all of us had been hanging out quite often, and after one other incident between Max and Sarah, everyone was getting along pretty well. We learned a bit more about Sarah, including that she had several other siblings, an older brother and sister, a younger brother and three younger sisters, one of whom was special needs. We also learned that she and her mom had always had pretty severe issues. And in fact, her mom had actually given her an ultimatum to either get a job or that she was going to be kicked out right after her high school graduation that was coming up just in a few days. After she told my brother this and that she was likely going to have to move in with family that lived far away, well, my brother did everything he could to help her. In fact, he convinced my parents to let her move in with us. Even my grandma, who was the one who actually owned the house. Now, for some context, my grandparents were real estate agents when they were younger, and so they owned a lot of houses that they either rented out to people or let family live in them. At this time, my brother had lived with a couple of our cousins, and I still lived with our parents. So, I guess if you want to get technical, Sarah and Isaac wouldn't be living together. She'd be living with me and my parents. When everyone asked if I would be okay with her moving in, considering we'd be sharing a room together, I just said yes, even though I was quite hesitant. Don't get me wrong, I really love Sarah. She was really wonderful and she made Isaac really happy. But I mean, we had only known her for a few months and I just didn't want things to end badly because of this. Although really her only option was to move far away with family that she barely even knew. So I just agreed. A few weeks later in late June, when my sister Isaac and I went to pick up Sarah and all her things, Sarah had warned us that her parents might be fighting and that we might end up seeing and hearing it if they ended up taking it outside, which according to her, they often did. This was because Sarah's dad didn't agree with her mom kicking her out, and they had apparently been fighting about it for weeks ever since Sarah told them she was moving. By this point, Sarah had told her parents that she had a boyfriend, but Isaac still hadn't met them yet because her dad wasn't happy about it at all and Sarah was really nervous that her dad would actually try to hurt Isaac if they met. So all of that, and because of Sarah's strained relationship with her mom, she wanted to keep them out of her personal life as much as possible. Anyways, so when me and all my siblings pulled up to Sarah's house, we were really expecting the worst. But instead, all we saw was Sarah sitting outside of her house with all of her stuff just waiting for us. There were no fighting parents outside with her, and as far as we could tell, no one in her house was fighting at all. From the way Sarah described her parents' fights, you would definitely be able to hear it from outside. But when we got there, all we saw was total calmness. From everything she told us, it just really didn't make any sense. To be completely honest, it was almost creepy in a way. Because we were anticipating complete chaos and potential danger of Sarah's dad saw Isaac. Only to be met with Sarah sitting there by herself, all ready to go seemingly not at all affected by her parents' apparent intense fighting. Anyway, we picked her up and things went totally fine. My sister dropped us all off at my house where we had then brought in all of Sarah's stuff. So, going on through the next few months, nothing too notable happened until early November. One night while me and Sarah were up late watching videos on YouTube, Sarah was really consumed by this conversation she was having with someone over text. She had barely set her phone down the entire time. I just assumed she was texting Isaac or something, and I didn't really think too much about it. 
Since we were using my mom's laptop, we were sitting pretty close so that we could both see the screen. And when I looked over to ask her something, I saw her phone screen. It wasn't intentional, but considering how close we were, it was kind of inevitable. On the screen, I could see that she was texting someone on Snapchat, but that it wasn't my brother. Now, this normally wouldn't have been a big deal, but I could briefly see in one of the texts that she had apparently called this person Baby. I thought it was pretty weird, but I didn't really say anything because it wasn't any of my business. And I hadn't even seen the full conversation, so I really didn't want to take anything out of context. Still though, I couldn't get it out of my head. Until one night a few days later, I then did something I really shouldn't have done. Isaac was over and she and him were in the living room watching TV or something while I was in my room doing homework. Sarah left her phone in the room and I knew that she didn't have a password on it. And so, since I was by myself, I decided to snoop through her phone. I found explicit sexual text to that same person from only a few days prior to this and I just wasn't really sure what to do. I was honestly just shocked because I just never would have expected her to do something like that. She just really didn't seem like that type of person. I knew I had to tell Isaac though, which I ended up doing the same night. He confronted her about it and he then broke up with her on the spot. She walked out of the house crying and she walked a few houses down before sitting down on the sidewalk. It was pretty late at this point. It was at least 12.30 in the morning so me and Isaac went and sat outside with her. She didn't say anything the entire time we were outside. But after a while, she got up and walked back to the house and straight to our room. She grabbed something from one of her boxes that she, despite having lived with us for almost five months at that point, still didn't want to unpack. She then walked back outside with the both of us following close behind. After us asking several times what the hell she was doing, she said she was going to kill herself. Inside that little container she had with her was a bag full of different pills, a lighter, and some cigarettes that she really shouldn't have been smoking since she had chronic asthma. Absolutely shocked, the two of us followed her to wherever it was that she was going, pleading with her to come back to the house where we could talk about things. Consumed with trying to reason with Sarah, I didn't realize Isaac had stopped following us. Instead, going back to the house to tell my parents what was going on and to call 911. The entire time we were walking, I tried talking with her, telling her over and over that she could be as mad as me as she wanted, that she could yell at me or whatever it is she needed to do, just not this. She asked me why I'd gone through her phone like that and I really didn't have an answer. I told her that it was honestly the last thing in my mind and I just wanted to make sure she was safe. Luckily the cops as well as my mom had met us at a park about a mile away from my house a little while later and we finally convinced her to come home with us. Isaac and Sarah talked about it all a few days later and they were able to work things out after Sarah claimed the texts were from November of 2018 before they met. Me and Sarah also worked things out and everything seemed to really be fine, although I was still a bit leery about the entire situation. Sarah did have bipolar depression so she was really prone to extreme emotional responses to certain situations, but I mean what happened that night, what she intended to do, that was the last thing I would have ever expected. And she really seemed to convince everyone else that the texts were from the previous November. But I mean, I literally saw the dates in the texts. I'm 99% sure that they were only from a few days before all this happened. Although if my brother was willing to forgive her and give her a second chance, I figured I should too. I mean, after all, she was still his girlfriend and my roommate. 
Come late January, Sarah had been going back and forth between our house and her parents' house once a month for the past few months for orthodontist appointments. Her and her younger brother both had recently gotten braces, and so her mom took them both to their appointments. Now, I found this to be quite strange since her mom didn't kick her out after all, but Sarah just told us that her mom took advantage of having her there for a few days just to babysit her younger siblings, so it kind of just worked out for everyone. I didn't really question it further since it just seemed like she had a really weird family dynamic or something. She was also often at her parents due to her special needs sister being epileptic, and she would often be in the hospital due to seizures. So either way, her and her mom were still going to see each other. We had never actually met her mom though. Sarah would just always go out to her mom's car whenever she would get there. But considering how awful her mom seemed to be based on what Sarah told us, I think that we were all fine with not meeting her. Well, one day when Sarah's mom was picking her up, my dad was outside watering the front lawn. And well, he walked over to her mom's car to say hello to her before Sarah got there. As they got to talking and my dad mentioned Sarah, her mom had no idea who he was talking about. Um, Sarah, my dad said. You know, your daughter? Um, my daughter's name is Maggie, she said, totally shocking my dad. It turns out that Sarah or Maggie had completely lied about her identity. She lied about practically everything about herself. She didn't have six siblings like she had claimed, just two. Her younger brother who had also had braces and her special needs sister, although she actually wasn't even epileptic. So I really have no idea where the hell Maggie was going all those times that she claimed to be going to see her in the hospital. Oh, and her mom never even kicked her out. She apparently moved out all on her own once we said she could live with us, and then gave her parents a one-day notice. And the part about her dad not wanting her to have a boyfriend? Well, that was a lie too. Her dad was completely fine with her having a boyfriend. In fact, he didn't even know she had one. Neither of her parents did. She told them a complete lie about who we were too. She said that she was living with one of her friends and her grandma. After finding all this out and telling everyone else about it, it made me think back on something that happened on the very first day that we met. When Isaac introduced her to our friend Max, the very first thing that Max asked her was, Don't I know you? It's Maggie, right? Max was right from the very beginning, but no one believed him. He and Maggie did in fact know each other, and because she was so charismatic, she was able to convince him and everyone else that he was definitely thinking of somebody else. Everything she ever told us about herself was just a part of one big complicated lie that even now, months later, I'm still really struggling to completely understand. I guess my whole point of all this is just to tell you to be cautious of who the hell you meet online. Her and Isaac met on a dating app, and I bet right now he's really regretting ever swiping right on Sarah. Hell, I know I would be. Let me preface this story with a little background information. I'm a college student and I'm majoring in engineering. I'm currently away from school on a co-op rotation with a major company. My company is headquartered in a larger city and I'm working in a smaller site just north of HQ. I live in a small township in the suburbs, a gated apartment complex in a very nice area with very low crime rates. Now, I regularly go on jogs with my music on full blast and my dog right at my side. We walk around at night. It's by all accounts a very safe place to live, and I felt very safe here. That is, until today. 
I woke up and got ready for work like normal. When I got in my car, not only was it basically frozen over, but I noticed that I was low on gas. I decided not to risk it and fill up before work. Once my front and back windows defrosted just enough for me to see, I drove a block down the road to my usual fill-up spot. It has lots of pumps and it usually isn't even packed, and it's also super close to my apartment. They also have usually lower prices than any of the other gas stations in the area. I pull into the parking lot and there isn't another car anywhere, save for a semi-truck parked by the doors and all the employee cars around the side. All the pumps are open. I pull up to the farthest right pump and hop out of the car. As I'm swiping my card and doing all that fun stuff, another car then pulls up. I didn't get a real good look at it honestly, but it wasn't shiny or new. I barely paid any attention until the car stopped at the pump on the other side of my own. So, you know how pumps are double-sided? Of all the open pumps, the driver chose the one connected to the one that I was currently using. So, yeah, not exactly perfect pandemic manners. Still, I didn't really think too much of it, at least not initially. I could hear the other driver swapping their card and entering their PIN number. I was freezing cold and just trying to hurry. I turned around and put the nozzle in the car, and I just stood there for a minute. Very foolishly, I decided to keep my back turned. I didn't want to have any contact with that person, so I just tried to pretend that nobody was there. Once I filled up, I removed the nozzle and then turned around, still keeping to myself and not even lifting my eyes. I finished the transaction and got my receipt. While it was printing, I looked up casually. I almost fell flat on the pavement when I saw a man peering around the corner of the pump just staring at me. You know how sometimes people describe creepy people as having an inhuman quality? Well, I never really understood that until today. The way this man looked at me sent a shiver down my spine. His eyes were just really cold and unyielding. He wasn't blinking or moving, but his gaze was growing even more intense. There was something animalistic in the way he stared at me. I felt like a deer being watched by a mountain lion. The hairs on the back of my neck stood. My instincts were screaming at me to run. This all took place in the span of just a couple seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. I very quickly opened my car door. When I did so, the man moved his head, tilting it to the side to peer into my car. I didn't really consider it at the time, but I think he might have been looking to see if I was alone. I intentionally blocked the view of the inside of my car with my body and then closed the door very quickly. I then locked it immediately. So you know how earlier I mentioned that my car was nearly frozen over? Well, by now the front and back windows were entirely clear. The side windows, however, were almost still all icy. There was a single strip of clarity in the driver's side window. A result of me rolling the window down a few moments prior in an attempt to clear it off. As I hastily buckled my seatbelt, I ventured a glance to my left. The man was still there, still staring, but he had now inched closer. I could see more of his body now than before. He was tall with dark hair and a well-built frame. He was certainly much larger than me. He seemed a few years older than me. Had it not been for those eyes, I might have even said that he was attractive. But those eyes, they were just haunting. I decided to do the logical thing and get myself the hell out of there as fast as possible. I didn't want a chance of being able to follow me. 
Though my work has really great security, I didn't want him knowing where I worked. I don't really know if this man was just a creeper, maybe something much darker, but I don't want to find out. Ever. I live in a small town where everyone knows everyone. Our town is normally pretty great. We throw community events, light up a town Christmas tree, and lots of other things. That being said, our town has a serious issue, and that's an old rundown building just outside of town that is absolutely crawling with tweakers. Homeless drug addicts who constantly vandalize and steal from all of the hardworking locals. Right at around 11.30, I had pulled up to the only gas station in town that stays open late after a closing shift at work. I got out of my Jeep and I started heading into the store to prepay. I noticed a rusty old BMX bike leaned up against the side of the building and I took a really deep breath as that's usually the sign that someone sketchy was in there. I continued to walk in and I was pleasantly surprised to find an empty store besides myself and the cashier. I figured maybe whoever owned the bike was just in the washroom and if I was fast enough I could pay and be back in my jeep before they even came out. I know it sounds like I'm judging people who don't drive or use bikes as a form of transportation but after seeing so many CCTV pictures of sketchy tweakers riding bikes around and breaking into businesses on my town's community group page, you come to be a little more cautious when you see them. So anyway, I pay for my gas and I head out to my car. I didn't hear the bathroom door open, but I still found myself speed walking right to the pump so that I can just fill up and get the hell out of there. After all, it was late and dark, and I felt a heavy blanket of anxiety then cover me as I stood outside alone. I eventually got back to my car and I start to unscrew my gas cap. I have one of those caps that completely screws off and I usually just set it right on my back bumper. As I went to set it down, I had caught a glimpse of a man leaning against the gas pump directly across from me. I felt my stomach drop as he wasn't wearing one of the gas station uniforms and there was no other cars fueling up other than myself. I looked at him as I debated turning around to press the regular gas button. I didn't want to look away and give him the chance to approach me without being aware of it. I tried to put myself between the pump and my car, but the way I had parked made it kind of difficult to maneuver the nozzle the right way. My heart was beating and all I could think about was what he could want or what he was doing. After what felt like years of contemplation, I turned around and almost slammed the button and started to pump the gas. I kept my eyes low as I tried to watch his movements, but there weren't any. He just stood stiff, tall, lanky, with his eyes cemented to me, five feet apart. I had paid to fill my tank as I was on E, and the pumps are painfully slow, so I decided to slide between the pump and my car and just wait in there. I tried to look back without being too obvious, but by the time that I had adjusted enough to clearly see where he was, he wasn't. I felt my heart then sink. He was gone. In those matter of seconds, he had seemingly vanished from his lurking point. Maybe he was just hiding behind the gas pump. Maybe he walked away into the surrounding darkness. I waited quietly, barely moving, until I then felt the click of the gas pump. I grabbed my cute pink Cabela's pocket knife and I did one last sweep to make sure I couldn't see him hiding somewhere. I got out and it was silent. I thought that he had lost interest so I relaxed my shoulders, then putting my knife in my coat pocket. I grabbed the nozzle and I placed it back in the holster with my back to the pump where the guy had been. 
Struggling a bit to place it back in there properly, I finally turned around to grab my gas cap, screw it on, and dip the hell out of there. I spun around quickly, and there he was. Face to face with maybe five inches between us, stood the man who was leaning against the pump just five to ten minutes before. His face was sunken in, and he had dark purple bags under his bloodshot, wide-open eyes. His cheekbones looked like they were threatening to rip through his skin. I didn't know what to do. I stood there for a couple of seconds, dizzy, ready to throw up, scream, or pass out. Whichever came first. I was terrified. I wanted to grab the pocket knife, but I couldn't make myself move. He stared at me before opening his mouth wide, like as wide as he could, and without hesitation or breaking eye contact, he just started laughing. Not a normal funny joke kind of laugh, but like a stereotypical evil murderer laugh. I thought I was going to die. I thought that he was going to pull a knife or a gun, hell, maybe even strangle me. But he simply just turned on his heels and walked away, still laughing. I watched him walk about 500 feet away before I convinced my body to grab my gas cap and get the hell back in my car. I don't know what that man wanted, what he was on, or what he planned on doing, or why he didn't do anything. I don't know if he owned the bike or someone else left it there. But what I do know is that it is absolutely vital to be constantly aware of your surroundings. I'm really lucky that I only got laughed at instead of God knows what else. By 13 years old, I had moved away a little farther, my hair was a little longer, and I was constantly getting mistaken and hit on by much older men who claimed that they thought I was at least 18. I had met my best friend that year, T, who lived in a mobile home park right across the street from our local grocery store, Surefine. We practically lived at each other's houses back then. We were inseparable. This one weekend in sixth grade was no different. Just for an idea, if your back is to the grocery store, there's a road directly in front of the parking lot to said grocery store, and directly in front and down the hill is the mobile home park and just to the left of it, more up the hill towards the road, is a Sheets gas station. T and I had been goofing around, watching some really embarrassing movies at her trailer that I won't mention, when we decided we wanted to take a break and take a walk outside and grab some energy drinks to keep us up all night. T's mom was really wonderful, and she completely trusted us. It was already dark out, but Sheets was just up a hill. We didn't even have to cross a road to get there. BT's little sister, who was around 10 at the time, begged to come with us. So reluctantly, we agreed. We were being really loud and weird, as we always were with each other, sharing one inside joke after another, much to B's annoyance. The people in the neighboring mobile homes had shot us disapproving looks or would jeer at us as we walked by. We were just getting into the light of the Sheets gas station when B became notably embarrassed by how we were acting. Now, I need you to understand how we were being. T was making really loud quotes from Spongebob, as well as imitating their voices, while I was circling B as I squatted into a crab walk and then snapped my hands like claws. Yeah, no regrets. Anyway, a couple of the people at the pumps had turned and looked at us weird, but T and I brought the weird out of each other, and we were laughing so hard it just really didn't matter. B rushed in and away from us while T and I calmed down a bit and we entered the gas station. We had took our time picking out snacks and drinks with the generous $20 T's mom had given us. 
There was a few other people in the gas station, but T and I hardly paid attention. We had already been in there close to 10 minutes when I realized that B wasn't near us. I told T this and she kind of just laughed and made some joke about some poor sucker kidnapping her. At this point in my life, I had had enough scary encounters that I was really paranoid. So I handed T all of my stuff and I told her I was going to peek out to make sure she was standing on the sidewalk. When I at first didn't see her, my heart skipped a beat. But then at the end of the walkway, almost shadowed, I saw B standing there with her head down. I call over to her and she slowly approaches, now complaining that we're the worst. I roll my eyes at her and I tell her if she stays outside she's not going to get any candy, to which she then sulkily walks back in. She just hands T all the candy she wants and then she tells us she's going outside to wait. So like the mother hen that I am, I tell her to stay by the door in the light. We're the third in line but even looking out the big glass door I don't see her again. T tells me not to worry about it and that her and B go up there all the time, but I'm still anxious. When I can finally put down our snacks and energy drinks right under the counter, I then tell T that I'm just going to peek out at B while she pays. Right as I open the door and the cold air hits me, I then see B standing only 10 feet away from the corner closer to the pumps than towards the mobile homes. She's now talking to someone in a lifted black truck with black tinted windows. I march right over and stand next to B, about to tell this black truck off, but when I appear, the window drops all the way down and I can see at least four grown men in the truck, all of them smiling very stupidly. I don't even say anything to them. I immediately look at B, grab her arm, and tell her that we really need to leave. B pulls away from me and she then snaps that I'm not the boss of her, that they were just asking for directions. I hear a laugh from in the truck and then the driver says to me, Yeah baby, we just wanted directions. T then walks out and was about to start joking around again when she fully takes in the situation. Look man, we don't know where anything is. I reply, trying to get B to step away from the truck again. What do you guys want? Snaps T and the men just laugh again. Wow, so hostile. We just wanted directions to your bedrooms, ladies. And with all that, the men then roar with laughter. T and I just roll our eyes. At this point, I'm not scared. I just figured it's some really bored losers. And T thinks the same. We're 13, you losers. Stop being chesters. In case you aren't familiar, that's the term we use for pedophiles. Chester Chester the child molester. No way. You beautiful ladies have to be older than that. Calls another, but we're starting to walk away now. The truck slowly rolls forward and one of the back doors to the truck then opens. A man unsteady on his feet and seemingly drunk staggers out. We freeze and watch for a moment, but luckily his is the only door that opens. Come on, we just want to have some fun. He then coos, motioning us towards him. You guys like having fun, don't you? You didn't shut up when you got here. You had the entire parking lot looking at you, and now you don't want the intention? Nah, you're not shy. He takes another step forward. T looks at me, kind of makes a panic noise, then freaking grabs one of the energy drinks and chucks it at him. If the man hadn't been so intoxicated, he probably could have easily avoided it. But he was drunk, so it smacked him right in the chest. He made a wheezing noise as he fell to the ground, and before they could do anything else, we then tore off right towards the mobile homes, 
profanities being screamed at us. We were rushing down the hill, but right to the right of us was the dirt trail that led to the mobile park from the gas station. We hadn't even made it halfway down when we then saw the truck rolling down the dirt path quickly, obviously trying to catch up and beat us to the bottom. B was already wheezing, but I was counting on the fact that the dirt path didn't directly cut in front of us. Instead, it went straight down the middle, and it had side paths that led to each mobile home. But if they tried to drive through the grass yards right towards us, they were liable to hit whatever trash the neighbors had left in their yard. Luckily, I was right, though. They were still in eyesight, but we were able to run all the way to the left, ducking behind the closest mobile home while they then decided if they were going to risk driving through the grass or follow us on foot. When we heard the car door slam again, we stopped ducking and we ran past the three outside trailers on the end of the rows and towards T's place. We rushed into our little screened-in deck, caught our breath, listening for a moment. When we could still hear the shouting, we rushed into T's house, then locked the door. Luckily, T's mom was in her room, so she didn't see us stumbling in like panicked idiots. T immediately cornered B, and she told her that if she opened her big mouth, they'd have no more freedom, and that she definitely wouldn't be allowed to go with us anymore. We went into the kitchen to open up our shaken energy drinks over the sinks as they exploded from how shaken up they were. We were able to hear yelling from outside, to which T's mom came out and asked what was going on. We must have looked really guilty, but we kind of just shrugged and said we had no idea. T's mom rolled her eyes, turned on the porch light, then stepped outside. We immediately pressed our ears against the door and we could hear T's mom yelling at someone that it was really late and they needed to leave. That's when we heard the man swear and say that some girls had attacked his friend. T and I share panicked looks, but her mom's having none of it. She tells him that if some girls really beat up his friend, he must be a really big pussy, and tells the man to go to hell and shut up because her husband's trying to sleep. He swears a bit more, but it sounds like he leaves. She looked at us suspiciously and pointed a finger at each of us as she then said, I don't know what you guys did, and I don't want to know. Just be careful next time. And with that, she turns to enter her room, then pauses right before she enters, and then says, Oh, and good job beating up a grown man. I'm proud of you guys. She then winks at us, then closes the door. So yeah, that's my scary gas station story. When I was in high school, I had a stalker. Here's the story. I was 16 years old and we had met on Facebook. He went to a school nearby and we decided to meet up for a movie. We had a really great time together and we actually ended up dating. The first time that he came to my parents' house, he had an anchor monitor on for house arrest and he wouldn't tell anyone why. And since he was a minor, we couldn't find out. Now, my parents obviously didn't allow us to hang out so we had to hang out at his house or at around town at the YMCA camp. I was rebellious and naive. Things started to get weird when I noticed his family was pretty odd. One day while we were having sex in his bedroom, I saw his father looking through the blinds. I screamed and called him out for it, and his dad ran off. He told me that his dad was into redheads and he just liked to watch us. I went to leave and his mom was doing crack in the kitchen. So, yeah, I decided it was time to break up. This is when it got bad. He actually started crying and he told me that he's in cancer treatment and that's why he needs me. That he doesn't have long to live. Blah, blah, blah. 
I actually believed him and I told him we could be friends. And this is when the stalking began. He switched schools to my high school, but he never went to class. He would just stand outside of my classroom looking inside until it was passing period. Whenever I would leave class, he wouldn't address me. He would always just follow about 10 to 15 feet behind me to my next period and just stand outside the classroom again. I was too intimidated to say something to him. He was six foot four and kind of a heavy set guy, so I kind of just let it happen for weeks. It started to progress to where he would follow me home every day. He would get on the same exact bus as me and walk 10 to 15 feet behind me all the way to my house. He would stand outside just staring up at the windows until around the time my parents got home and then he would just leave. I finally had enough and I told him to screw off and leave me alone. I told him that we could no longer be friends or even acquaintances and to just forget about me. However, that only escalated things way further. I started getting about 150 calls a night. Half of them were screaming death threats and in detailed torture methods that he wanted to do to me and the other half were him singing love songs that he wrote on his guitar. Every time I blocked his number, he seemed to just magically get a new one and leave even more messages. I woke up one day to see that overnight, he had left me one of those singing, dancing snowmen on my porch. He had stabbed it in the head and the knife was still sticking out. He covered it in his liquid deodorant that I had previously mentioned liking the smell of and I noticed there was a hole where the little song recording device was. When I pressed the hand, it wasn't the regular Frosty the Snowman that usually played. It was his own voice saying eerily, I'm going to have you forever. I'm never going to let you be. I was absolutely done at this point, and I told my parents, who then contacted the school. They suspended him from school, but he still waited at my bus stop every day and also walked to my home with me. One day he actually ran at me like he was going to tackle me or something. When I tensed up for the impact, he stopped and hugged me. It wasn't a regular hug though. It was like he was trying to crush me. I was 5 foot 1 and about 90 pounds at the time, and he actually ended up cracking one of my ribs. I cried and he started crying too before then running off. He left me a voicemail where he apologized in song. This one night is the night that I'll never forget, and it's actually the sole reason that we got a restraining order and my dad getting a gun. I woke up one evening for no reason. I was just fully awake. I got up to go to my kitchen and go get a glass of water to relax, and in the reflection of my fridge, I saw movement in my backyard. I couldn't really see well because it was so dark outside and so light inside, so I went to the back sliding glass door to get a better look. When I got a little closer, I was met with the silhouette of a six foot four man standing just outside the door. My stalker X was actually in my backyard under my room at three in the morning. He was just staring at me. I yelled and my parents got up, but he was long gone by the time my dad went outside. There happens to be a patio right outside my bedroom window that goes all the way to the ground, so it's very possible that he could have been on top of the patio looking directly into my bedroom window before. We got a restraining order granted shortly after that, and my stalker ex dropped out of school. I haven't seen him since in person, but every six months he makes a new Facebook and he always tries to friend request me. I just block it and report it every time. Scary stuff. Have you ever heard of that myth that if you wake up in the middle of the night for no reason at all, there's likely something looking at you? Well, maybe it's true. I don't know what he's doing now or where he went, and I really don't care to know.
For personal information, at the time I was a 19-year-old female. I recently broke up with a guy who we'll call T. I ended things with T because I was really young and I didn't really see the relationship going anywhere. Not that T was a bad guy, I was just being careless and I wanted to explore my options, stupidly. I ended up dating a guy soon afterwards who we'll call Dan. I knew Dan when I was younger. He was older than me and even then he wasn't a good person. Always the one getting into trouble with the police. He even got expelled for starting a fire at school and burning most of it down. But he seemed interested in me and so I went with it. Everything was going normal at first. We dated and went out and he claimed that he wasn't the same person that he was before. You know, the found Jesus type. He started asking me to stay the night after about a week or so. And since all the flags were good so far, I said yes. After a few weeks pass, I noticed that Dan seemed really clingy in terms of wanting me to spend all my time that I wasn't at work with him, which at the time was only a few hours a day because I was a workaholic, so I figured if I was going to make the relationship work, I should spend that time with them. But he was always really interested in my past relationships. I mean, to the point of being obsessive, but he always got mad at me whenever I answered any questions he had about them. Well, I should also state that I was one of those people who never programmed people's numbers in my phone. I kind of just always went off the last conversation to remember who it was. I know it sounds shady, but I would always go through really cheap phones, and I never really bothered to waste the little time that I had. I never knew that it would put my life, safety, and sanity in jeopardy. But the day before Thanksgiving, he asked me to spend the night. I had to work a double shift the next day, so I had fell asleep rather early, and he was watching a movie, so no biggie. Or so I thought. At around 4am, I then woke up to someone punching my leg. Startled and half asleep, he started yelling at me, saying that I was nothing but a whore and how he wanted to punch my face in. I was immediately confused and I questioned the sudden outburst. That's when he then accused me of meeting people outside my job on my breaks. Mind you, it was literally my work friend and we would always just smoke together and bullshit around. But that's when I realized that he went through my phone and he was mistaking conversations with my family and friends as lovers. All because my dumbass didn't put them into my contacts. I tried to talk to him about it but he kept grabbing and shaking me and I just decided to nope the hell out of there. I even left behind my phone because he was getting really confrontational and aggressive. And I was a 110 pound female so I already knew my chances on fighting a full size man. I went to my sister's because she was the first person I could feel comfortable telling this to. She immediately went into mother mode, then called my phone and demanded it back. Well, some heated words later, I told her that it's really no problem. It was a cheap phone anyways, and I'll just buy another one. Plus, I was supposed to be at work really soon, so I didn't really have the time to argue. Then a coworker asked me if everything was alright. Now, my day at work was pretty normal. But then a coworker had asked me if everything was alright, that she saw my Facebook post and that she was really concerned. Well shit, all my social media was still connected to that phone. I went on my computer at work and I was so horrified at what I saw, just downright sickening things about me all over my Facebook wall. My family and friends posting and wondering what's going on, saying that they were also getting terrifying messages and calls. I immediately shut down all of my social medias and then deleted them. After that was all done, I remembered my coworker I smoked with, 
So I quickly went to find her and I immediately knew something was said to her by Dan just by the way she looked at me. So I asked if I could read them. What I then read still scares me to this day. Things like he knows where I work and where I live. That he could very easily run me over with his car and how he'd love to see the life leave my eyes. Then I read the last message saying he was at my job waiting for me. I ran to the far side of the building so I could see the parking lot and I see his white BMW parked right by the back door, literally the only door that I can enter and exit from. At this point, I should have called the cops. I know this isn't okay, but I didn't want to draw attention to myself or let my outside life into my work. So I had asked my friend to walk with me when it was time to leave and thankfully it was extremely dark so I doubt he could see me. But I then remembered that I can't go home. Well, remember T? Yeah, he became my savior and he let me stay with him. Well, I practically begged. But on that night, he had started getting messages. Apparently, I didn't delete the messages either, so it didn't take long for Dan to find all of the old messages between me and T. Dan had said really violent things to him, saying he was going to kill us. He also called T's phone over and over till 4 a.m leaving voicemails of him screaming incoherently, saying that he knew where he worked and lived, which might have been true since I never deleted the messages or really anything of that matter. This lasted for a couple of days. I was constantly being walked to my car by my co-workers. I bought a taser and mace, didn't sleep well, and I was constantly afraid to be alone. Then my sister called T. Apparently Dan was arrested the night before, not very far from T's house. He was arrested for aggravated drunk driving, resisting arrest, and carrying a weapon in his car. Thankfully, not long after that, we moved. It's been about nine years, and I never heard anything since. But I really fear ever running into him, because I still believe that he wants me dead, and that that's what he was planning on doing the night he was arrested. But on a happier note, T and I have been together for nine years now, and we have three beautiful children together. So Dan... Stay the hell away from me and my family. My name is Edward, and I'm from Arkansas. I'm 33 years old now, but this happened about 14 years ago when I was going through a lot in my life. I was a 19-year-old boy at the time dealing with the deaths of my parents as well as my grandparents. At the time, I was in a really sunken place in my life, and I felt like nobody was there for me so I would search for love and relationships to cope with the pain. Please don't judge me. I was just a really lost soul at the time. One day I decided to try my chances at online dating on the website you may remember as MySpace. As soon as I created my profile, literally within minutes I'd received a message from a lady. I was kind of skeptical at talking to her at first. Let's call her Renee. The first message she sent to me was just her calling me handsome and asking me how my day was. Then a few days later, I got another message basically saying the exact same thing. So this time I replied. I basically just said what's up and that I'm doing good. We continued talking and we built a very good friendship before we dated. Fast forward a few months now, we're now in a relationship and things started to get really crazy. At first, it started with her having a problem with me hanging out with my friends and close family. One day while I was hanging out with a few buddies of mine, she had came and told me, I don't like you hanging out with them. The only friend you need is me. As you can imagine, I totally flipped out by this. 
Me and my buddies are gamers who like to play video games and just talk about things in life. They weren't the type of friends that would have me cheating, so I really didn't know what the problem was. Me and my family on my father's side were also really close, until she started manipulating them, telling them lies. I really don't understand why they believed her, though. My family should just know that I would never say anything like that. The only family members who believed me were my brother and sister. My dad had seven children by other women, having three children, including me, with my mom. My ex had actually started so much stuff between the family to where there were actually fights with my aunts, which she thought the whole situation was just funny. There was one encounter where one of my cousins had called me from work saying it was an emergency. When I arrive, I see Renee standing there saying that she watched me smiling at another woman at work. When, of course, I'm a sales associate. So, I mean, yeah, I had to be polite to any customer I came across. That was literally my job. But, I mean, how did she see me at work when I usually walk around the store stalking and helping customers? She then starts yelling at me, saying all kinds of things like, How can you do this to me? I thought you loved me. I really thought she was crazy because, like I said, I was literally just doing my job. She goes to jump in my car, but I lock the doors. She then goes to the driver's side window, beating on my window and telling me to open the door. I thought that her behavior was just really ridiculous, so I left. Right as I leave, I see her following me. Now, I stay in a little town to where if I drive on the highway, I'll end up going to the next town over. So I decide to do that while speeding, thinking she would stop following me. Nope. There's good old Renee driving behind me like a crazy maniac, like she wants to knock me off the road or something. I finally ended up losing her, and I went to stay at one of my friend's house because I just didn't know what her intentions were at this point. I ended up breaking up with Renee shortly afterwards because I couldn't take being controlled by someone who should love me instead of hurting me, but I was just so stuck on being stupid and wanting to be loved that we ended up back together. Thinking the relationship would get better, it really only got worse when Renee started stalking me at work. At the time, I was working as a stalker at a supermarket. Every day she would come to my job asking who I've talked to today, and that she better be the only one I'm talking to. Come to find out a few months later she was actually cheating on me with an ex-friend of mine. So I packed all of my things and left one day while she was visiting her mom. After leaving her, I had tried working on loving myself and getting myself together. I really thought that chapter of my life was finally closed. But it was far from over. After blocking Renee's phone calls and all of her social media... She would still somehow find out things about me, like who I was talking to, where I moved to, and so on. She would also create all these fake accounts, thinking I would accept them. Nope, there's no way in hell I'm dealing with that. Late one night at my new house, I had a female friend come over to, you know, do what friends of the opposite sex do, when I then heard a loud banging at my door. Now, me thinking to myself, like who could be at my door at this late at night... My conscience told me to be quiet and sneakily look out the blinds. As I looked out the blinds, my heart dropped. It was Renee. How the fuck did she find out where I lived? I went back to the bedroom and I told my lady friend to be quiet because it was my crazy ass ex, which I told her about before we started messing around. I could hear Renee saying, I know you're in there. You better let me in or I'll let myself in, while beating on all my doors and windows. I called the police, but she ended up leaving before they came. I ended up getting a restraining order on her, and that still didn't work. 
Every single time I would try to have a new relationship with someone, Renee would always ruin it by telling them lies that we were still messing around and that we were still together, which was a fucking lie. There was even one time when I was at a girl's house that I really liked who invited me over to spend the night, and while we were in the living room talking, the doorbell rings. My friend then told me that there was someone at the door for me, and I'm sure you can guess who it was. Yep, it was Renee. How in the fuck did she know I was even here, better yet which apartment I was in? I then told my friend that I was going to see what was going on and to call the police. While holding something in her purse, Renee with a really crazy look on her face then says, What are you doing here and who's that girl? I tell her that it's none of her business and that she should go worry about my ex-friend that she cheated on me with. Right as she was about to pull something out of her purse, she sees the police coming and flees the scene again. The police started asking me questions and I complied, telling them what's going on and that she really needs to stay away from me. One day I got a phone call from a number I recognize as a store number. It was once again Renee. She told me that if she couldn't have me, no one can. While at a gas station pumping gas, I had noticed a car creeping up slowly. I knew the car she drove, so I didn't think anything of it. I paid it no mind while pumping when all of a sudden Renee gets out with a knife and then stabs me twice. Once in my shoulder, once in my arm, and also sliced my hand. Right as she was about to stab me again, I hear a female voice then say, Hey, you better back the fuck up from him right now, while holding a pistol. It was my female friend Yolanda who I grew a close bond with months after breaking up with Renee. By the good grace of God, the police finally came and arrested her. One more strike and she probably would have killed me if it wasn't for Yolanda. Some time has passed and I've now been happily married for 11 years. The last I heard about Renee is that she recently got out of prison and she married another guy with the exact same name as mine. About a month ago, I had received a message request on Facebook from a strange account without a picture. It's Renee. I get chills down my spine. She goes on to tell me how sorry she was and how she's changed since being released from prison and how she really wished things would have been different. I blocked that account after showing my wife the message she sent. That relationship messed me up so bad that I had to go to therapy over it. To Renee, leave me the hell alone because the next time I'll have no choice but to hurt you. I really pray and hope that it never comes to that. <laughs>